All right. What's up, y'all? Hope everybody is doing well on this Wednesday, the 21st. Uh, welcome back to the Onyx Report. Um, we get settled in here. As you guys know, the Onyx Report is basically where black male justice advocates such as myself uh, uplift black men and boys using critical analysis. So um, thank you for joining us. Today we are broadcasting on uh, innerlightradio.com, on Facebook, and of course, on YouTube. I didn't give a whole lot of warning for today's show, so might take a little minute for some of my people to come on through. What's up, Big H? Hope everybody is well uh, as we try and get in. And we're going to deal with a bit of a sensitive subject. So we will try and handle it with some care as we let people come on through. Let's see here. Okay. All right. Got a few people coming on. Yeah, I usually give a little bit more time and uh, let people know a little bit ahead of time what I'm going to deal with. But uh, today was a little sensitive and I wanted to make sure that I approached it with any right amount of respect. But in uh, dealing with some of the preparation, it is what it is. So bear with me. Hope you guys are well. But I do want to say, um, as I get this started here, that... We definitely want to make sure that we support the channel and do so properly. So um, let me quickly shout out my subs and get into what we're getting into. So here we go. Again, shout out to my subs. Thank you for supporting the Onyx Report. And for those of you who are also interested in doing so, you can do so in a variety of ways. You can come right here on the YouTube and click the join button. And right next to that, click the subscribe button and choose a variety of levels of membership. Or you can go to my Patreon and choose a number of levels of leader of, of membership there as well. Or you can also support the Institute for Black Male Studies uh, that is available on Patreon as well. So support the channel support the Institute so we can continue, continue to bring you, uh, well, uh, continue to bring you, um, information that I hope you will find useful. Shout out to people, a number of people in here. What's up, Malika? Hope you're well. Um, see brother Ron. Brian. Thanks for the support, Brian. Good to see you in here. Uh, golden child. What's up? So we're getting a few, we're getting it going here. But again, support the channel so we can kind of get this to you. Um, there was something I was okay. Let's see, what's up, Mr. Blue Collar? What's going on? Uh, where did it go? There was something I was ah, that's what it was. Let 
me just quickly paste this in here so I can, um, <clears throat> excuse me. I can get this information out real quick and uh, get it going anyway. All right. So there we go. And, uh, yeah, so just uh, what happens when you're kind of trying to cover everything yourself. It is what it is. Um, Kashif, appreciate the cash app. Thank you very much. Um, now, today is going to be a little bit different. Um, the format is probably going to be more akin on a number of different channels. But, uh, there's a reason for that, so I will get into that momentarily. Good. So now I can clear this stuff off the screen. Now we can get going. So um, let me start with a few things here. There we go. All right. All right. So you guys know what it is, uh, the Sacred Black Masculine series. Um, and this is where we use the Onyx Report to shout out black men who are making contributions that they would, you know, likely not be recognized elsewhere for. Um, but it's part of the reason that I do this show is because at the end of the day, it's about uplifting black men and boys. And part of the way we do that is to celebrate their accomplishments um, and the various things that they're going through. So these two young men, now um, this is um, from, I want to say this is from last year. But it's still nonetheless something that I, I hadn't seen at the time. So I wanted to kind of shout them out. Um, this is a piece I found on Fox59.com. Uh, it's entitled Two Men Save Stranger from Burning Home in Marion, Indiana. Right? It says two young men busted into a burning home and rescued a stranger Sunday uh, around two o'clock Sunday afternoon. Trey Jones and his friend Marcus Harvey smelled smoke nearby. Once the two got closer, they saw a house on South Adams Street in flames and knew someone was trapped inside. They said, I kicked in the door um, and boom, and then fire and smoke started coming out. When I heard uh, his voice screaming, I felt like I knew I could get him out. I didn't know how far he was in the house. I knew he was in a better position than he was. I knew I was in a better position than he was. Uh, then Jones and Harvey, shout out Romello, appreciate that support. When Jones and Harvey got inside the home, the heat and smoke took over. They said they couldn't see anything, but they were able to get the gentleman out. And to my knowledge, he lived. So shout out to these young men uh, for doing their thing. Trey Jones, Marcus Harvey, shout out to y'all. Right. Um, what's up, Prince Johnny? I'm listening. What's going on? Got a few people coming in here. So please make sure you like, share, subscribe, join and donate. Support the channel. All right. So next up, we got a few special shout outs, because as you guys know, this last week um, or some of, you know, um, has been pretty monumental in certain regards. And although I'm not necessarily one who adores celebrity, there are a few celebrities that I did want to shout out. All right. Some of you may remember this gentleman. This is Mr. Charlie Robinson who um, was best known for his work on the NBC sitcom Night Court. He was a theater, film, television actor. Um, he was also known on the show as Macintosh or Mac Robinson. Uh, but he was a Houston native, um, you know, Charlie as uh, his birth name. He was a Houston native who in his teens sang with a local group that later became known nationally, Archie Bell and the Drells. He died at 75 years old on July 11th. So shout out to Charlie, you know. Um, 
he will be missed. A lot of good memories watching him. I did not realize it didn't. I didn't get anything on um, the uh, cause of death, but that's been happening lately with a number of celebrities. Usually, when they first announce it, they don't have it yet, and um, you know sometimes we can forget to follow up. But anyway, as far as Charlie Robinson, I just wanted to say shout out to him. Uh, may he rest in peace. Hope um, his family uh, is blessed. Right. So that's Mr. Charlie Robinson. Um, who passed on July 11th, 2021. Now, y'all know the one that's a little more close to home in terms of my generation uh, and my particular upbringing, my relationship with hip-hop. I was born in 74, right around the time hip-hop began. Uh, So I grew up with hip-hop. And one of the earliest uh, artists that I remember hearing um, very early on was one Mr. Biz Marquis clown prince of hip-hop, as he's referred to at times, who died at 57, right? Uh, This is a piece you can find on rollingstones.com, or excuse me, uh, rollingstone.com. Biz, the pioneering rapper, producer, and beatboxer whose jovial goofiness, boundless, off-kilter creativity, and innovative music made him a singular presence in both hip-hop and pop culture at large, died Friday at the age of 57. Um, it is said uh, with profound sadness that we announced this evening with his wife, Tara, by his side, hip hop pioneer Biz Marquis peacefully passed away. His rep, Jenny Izumi, said in a statement, we are grateful for the many calls and prayers of support that we have received during this difficult time. While the cause of death was not revealed, the rapper had struggled in recent years with health issues related to his decade long battle with type two diabetes In April 2020, he was hospitalized due to complications related to the disease and later that year suffered a stroke. Although the rapper was rehabilitating, his condition continued to decline, leading to premature reports of Marquis' death in late June. Over the course of five albums, most notably 1988's Going Off and 89's Biz Never Sleeps. Appreciate that support, Barry. Um, Let's see, Biz Never Sleeps, the producer MC whose real name was Marcel Hall, uh, developed his own uh, style, unlike any other rapper at the time, a mix of half-sung and in, in, intentionally off-key choruses, riveting beatboxing and silly humor that would earn him the nickname the Clown Prince of Hip Hop and pave the way for glorious, uh, gloriously bizarre rappers like Old Dirty Bastard. Although deemed one of hip-hop's biggest one-hit wonders, VH1 placed his 1989 classic Just a Friend at number 81 on its 2000 list of greatest one-hit wonders of all time, the rapper's impact extended far beyond hip-hop's greatest friend zone lament. Harlem-born, Long Island-raised uh, MC was a member of the legendary Juice Crew, Queensbridge Collective assembled by DJ Magic Mike and Marley Morrow, and featured fellow rappers like Big Daddy Kane, Master Ace, Roxanne Shantae, and Cool G Rap. And if you haven't had a chance to, you can go to Instagram and check Big Daddy Kane's statement about the passing of Biz Marquis. touching and heartwarming. So shout out to the, the, the brother's family. May he rest in peace as well. A uh, long time, lifelong fan of the biz. Um, I will miss him. What's up, Stylus? I see you in there. What's going on? Um, so yeah, man, that, this was a sad one, you know, and we've been seeing this a lot. And this is something that uh, one of my other favorite hip hop uh, artists pointed out. This is Mr. Chuck D. And uh, I believe it was on his Instagram um, uh, that he put up this handheld list 
of hip hop artists uh, that have passed away um, very recently, since December, in fact. It says Double K, MF Doom, who actually died during Halloween, but we didn't get notice of it till much later. Ecstasy, Prince Marquis, DMX, Black Rob, Shock G, Gift of Gab, I didn't know he had passed, and Biz Marquis. A little bit earlier, we also got acknowledged Craig Mack, who passed away as well. So a number of um, my childhood and teenage favorites have been passing, um, and unfortunately, many of which passing from um, many of which are passing from uh, preventable conditions. Um, many of them having to do with uh, overall quality of health. But this is not inconsistent for black men. Uh, overall, black men are grappling with health issues uh, that many can argue uh, would could are preventable. Uh, much of it has to do with uh, access to health care. Much of it has to do with going in getting checked out. Some of it has to do also with, um, you know, actually learning the skills of how to improve our health. Now, hip hop culture was never one that I would say uh, really delved in deep as far as, uh, you know, investing in health. I mean, there was a movement uh, very briefly in the late 80s where you saw, you know, groups like the Native Tongue Connect, uh, Collection, excuse the noise there, uh, where they came together. And actually, we're talking about, you know, how you eat and taking care of yourself and so on and so forth. But by the time you had the rise of, quote unquote, gangster rap, you really didn't hear a lot about that. And um, I think as we got older, many of the artists, you know, just uh, continue to live a particular quality of life. Um, so I hope for many of us out there that we are becoming more and more health conscious and doing what we need to do uh, to improve and extend uh, the quality of our lives. So shout out to each of those uh, who have passed. And of course, the, you know, uh, thousands upon thousands of nameless black men who are not generally recognized on a day to day basis. Shout out to them as well. Um, OK. Get through here. All right. All right. So. Just very briefly, you guys can see here, make sure you again support the Institute for Black Male Studies. You can go to www.instituteforblackmalestudies.com. You can see a number of free interviews with um, black men of prominence in their various fields. Um, you can also, uh, you know, purchase uh, everything from merchandise to uh, webinars, as well as uh, you can take the Intro to Black Male Studies course, which is available on the website there as well. Please make sure you check that out and look into it and support the Institute so we can continue to produce more. And if you have any ideas about what kind of class you'd be interested in taking, you can go ahead and send that to me as well. Um, and I would appreciate it. Right. So you can email that to me. Um, and there's a variety of ways to do that. But the easiest way is right there on the screen. You go to www.thassanjohnson.com. You can actually email me from my website. And you can make any kind of suggestion you'd like from there. All right. So moving forward. All right. Today's show, as you guys know, some of you may not, is, is it time for black men to let go of the black love velvet painting? What is the black love velvet painting? Well, this is something that I know many of you have seen in various forms over the years. I, again, am a 70s baby, an 80s child, so I definitely grew up with the velvet image of black love. 
And it is something that I think has been uh, somewhat pervasive, especially for my generation. And of course, the generation prior, my father being a Panther, that was the era we began to see it as a product of the black love era. So it was uh, one of those kind of things that you could see. Now, I, 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 I gathered together, and this is really random, just a few of the images that one uh, might associate with this era. These are not the most ideal, right? These are not the most ideal in terms of the ones that, that many of you may have grown up seeing on your walls and things of that nature. This is just a random uh, smattering of various images from different periods, right? So I'm just going to show you a few, right? And these are pure, like I said, these are purely random. You just put in black love and Google or black love paintings. And these are the ones that will pop up. Again, many of you could probably point out some that are definitely more uh, to the point, some that are more uh, poignant, some that are more um, you know, legendary in terms of impact. Right. Here, as a matter of fact, I'll blow some of these up for you. Definitely, you know, um, big on the black king and queen aesthetic that many of us have heard a lot about over the years. Right. Again, these are not always these are just really I grabbed them at random on purpose because I wanted to get a sense for, you know, how prevalent they are, how available they are and how they really in many ways uh, shape the black imagination. But this is not really about the black community or the black family per se. This is really more about black men. Right. It's really more about black men. What I want to do today uh, is kind of entertain what these images and these ideas, how they've impacted black men, what they are first, but how they've also impacted the black male imagination about relationships, about coupling and what some of the drawbacks of that can be. And why do I say that? Well, I was talking to a number of colleagues and friends this last week. And there's one in particular, good brother of mine, and he's been married, uh, I want to say about three times. And the first two marriages were very much an attempt to basically live in this painting. Now, back in the day, they were kind of, they were considered, they were called velvet paintings because the paintings were actually printed on velvet, right? Painted on velvet or whatever. You know, obviously today, you know, they're not necessarily velvet, but I use that term in the title for a reason because I'm really trying to strike back at a very particular nostalgic moment for many black men around my age. But the images persist, whether they're on velvet or not. And part of the reason that I'm calling to this is because as I was talking to my brother, we were talking about how really difficult those first couple marriages were. And when we got to the core of the difficulty, one of the things that he talked about, because he and I were both, you know, raised in a nationalist context, you know, um, uh, there was a nationalist kind of culture in our families. And by the time I hit 16, you know, I was, I've dived in very much. I think I was uh, introduced to it through reading the autobiography of Malcolm X. You know, from there, I, I became a Muslim. I joined um, pretty much anything I could that was related to that. Um, and that's, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Really not. I mean, you do what you got to do. Do what you, what you're, you know, moved to do. I'm not decrying any of that. What I am saying, though, is part of that process was me 
really kind of downloading and internalizing these images and trying to literally live in a velvet painting. And this is what my brother and I were talking forth, back and forth about. He was saying that his marriages were basically his attempt to live in a velvet painting. And it came about what you could showcase to the world, you know, how you guys look. I'll give you an example. This is a picture from, oof, man, 21 years ago. This is my wedding. This was my wedding from 21 years ago. And this is somewhat what I'm talking about, but this is just the performative aspect. I got a bunch of other pictures of different things that probably would fit in here, but I'd have to sift through the garage and I wasn't trying to do all of that today. But many black men find themselves in a position like this where they are literally trying to live out an image, live out an idea, something we grew up with or at least wished we did. See, that's a whole nother facet to this because we were also the generation, you're talking about Generation X. We were the generation that grew up in single parent households for the first time to the greatest degree. So a lot of this imagery was nostalgic, but not necessarily because it was something we experienced. It was nostalgic because it was something we didn't and we wanted to. And we sought out to make sure our children could have it, even though we hadn't. And this is partially what I mean about living in a velvet painting. There are many of us that are trying to do this, right? And it, it doesn't seem like it's too much of a problem on the surface. It really doesn't. It seems like, you know, what's the problem with this? There's nothing wrong with it. And in some respects, you'd be right. It doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing, but it can be. And when I say that, I mean, if you are so deeply tied to these ideas, and, and can be such to a degree where you're even a little disconnected from what actually is going on, particularly in black coupling. You can actually be, um, how would I put this? Completely unprepared for the amount of dysfunction you might actually experience and not really be prepared to how to, for how to deal with it when it comes to the realities of coupling. And this is what my boy and I were talking about. The ways in which we were living in an idea that that ill prepared us for the reality of the relationships we were putting ourselves into. And, and mind you, this had everything to do with who we chose, who we tried to be with, what kind of relationships we tried to establish. Um, it was almost like trying to live out. Um, live out. Uh, I don't want to say. It. Well, yeah, I guess I'll just keep it to that is living out a painting. Yeah. And we weren't prepared for who we were actually dealing with. And that's one of the problems that can extend from this. You can actually reach a point where you're so disconnected from the person you're actually with based on the things that you're holding on to that this person may or may not even know about. But even if you're with someone that shares this idea, it can be, you know, it could actually be a bit of a problem if, again, you're not looking at it. Appreciate that support, uh, JP. Um, if you're not prepared to look at uh, the realities of family backgrounds, uh, the kind of behavioral cues that uh, the partner you're with are maybe showing you that you're really overlooking. In other words, if you're not grounded in some kind of reality, this idea can become a problem. And for many black men, it has, even though we've not really named it as such. 
this is an image that a good colleague of mine on Facebook had up. And I've seen a million of these over the last 40 odd years, you know, in, in various forms. I've seen it at people's houses. I've seen it on, especially by the time you get to the internet, I've seen all these kind of things. And I, I realized how much this had, this has played a role in my life, but even in the kind of, in the lives of a number of the brothers that I've associated with. Because you got to remember, I'm, I'm faculty in Africana studies. Now, that's a very specific group of men, black men in particular. I'm, I'm not saying it's just men, but we're talking about black men. So there, there's a very particular cadre of black men that go into a field like black studies. And many of us, you know, have a nationalist orientation and you'll see many of us trying to create this image. And I've seen many of us do it to our detriment as it pertains to um, setting up realistic standards for what relationships actually look like, how they function, who we're with and whatnot. So I want to bring a good brother up here and I sent out a few invitations. Um, and, and that's what I was saying. Uh, today is going to be a little different, uh, different from my regular format, but more consistent with my, what you guys may have seen in other shows. I'm actually going to put the link out there and more so than talk about this idea. I want to hear from some of you about your relationship with this idea and what your experience has been. And if it's positive, it's positive. I'm not saying it has to be negative, but I am pointing out that there is an, an aspect of this that was naked, negative that I never, I never considered. And that was trying to make my life conform to an idea that had no grounding and no basis in reality. So let me, let me bring in my good brother here. Some of you guys are familiar with Green Gorilla. What's oh, up? what's up, Doc? How you doing, bro? I'm good, man. What's up with you? Man, chilling, man. It's raining cats and dogs here, bro. <laughs> I hear you. Cats and dogs. What's going on though, man? Man, I'm I'm you know, I really want to get this discussion out. And what I'm gonna do, um, I'm gonna have you and I, you know, kind of uh engage each other, of course, but then also as we bring some people up, have some dialogue. But I really wanted to get at this idea of black love, this idealized sense of black love and what it actually can do to black men. Do you have anything you want to kind of weigh in with in regard to that? Man, you know, uh, I just feel like, you know, you've been sold a dream that uh, nobody dreams about but you. Mm. It's, uh, you know, this idealized understanding about how your life is supposed to turn out and what you're supposed to do. And uh, it just doesn't work. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying it can't work. But right. you're leaving a lot up to the discretion of uh, of of the woman, and uh, you know she could sign out or, or opt out of the deal anytime she gets ready, mm. and uh, there's nothing you could do about it. And you know she'll walk away with the kids, the house, the car, the dog, and everything. You know, <laughs> uh, and it's it's just not a uh, at the present moment to me. It's just it's not a great deal. That's all I can say, man. Uh, and, and that's not, and you notice how, you know, of course, divorce is not part of the arrangement, at least in how you imagine things. But it's particularly devastating when your partner hasn't invested in the same idea, especially to the degree, degree you have, right? How devastating is that for most, for many black men that experience that? Oh, man, it's, it's life altering, you know? Uh, here you are. 
you got this idea about how things are supposed to go with your life, your children, and so on and so forth. And then the next thing you know, all that could just be ripped away from you. Mm. You know, it's not just about the woman. It's about, you know, a whole set of other uh, attachments and, you know, arrangements beyond mm. just the woman. You know, mm. we're talking about property. You know, we're talking about loyalty and fidelity, not only from her, but also to your offspring mm. and, and from your offspring. You know, it's just it's a lot of moving parts related to this, you know, and uh, if women don't have the same fidelity to the ideal, then it's just not, uh, it's not a good deal because there is no deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the deal is at any moment, uh, you, it's like uh, Charlie Brown and Lucy. Okay. <laughs> you know, she's got the football, you know, you, you think you're about to kick the field goal. And as soon as you run up to the ball, she can swipe. I mean, it's not that she will, you know, most definitely do that, but she can. She can. Anytime she gets ready. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of men, man, uh, you know, have to rebuild and regroup and get things resituated just because, you know, a woman decided that it was time to pull the plug. It's time to yank the football away from Charlie Brown. You know, and, and and a lot of times it has nothing to do with what the men have done. Mm. It's just that okay, I'm I'm bored now. I'm tired. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to do something new. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not what I thought it was going to be like. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you know, it's it's it doesn't even matter what the reason is. Yeah. You know, the, the the freedom associated with divorce and separation nowadays, and then the social stigma being diminished. Really doesn't matter what the reason is. This no fault divorce. So, uh, a lot of times, you know, you're required to invest, and they're not required to invest at the same degree or level of magnitude that you are. It's just that's how I perceive it. Now, maybe I'm wrong about it. Maybe it's just me being selfish, and it's just my perspective, right? But I mean, you got to think. It takes a lot for a man to go 12 toes in to the water. Well, you know, some people say 10 toes. I'm saying 12. (laughs) It takes a lot for a man to say, okay, I'm going to go ahead and settle down and for the most part, buy into this concept, starting a family, having a wife or whatever the case may be. Uh, It just takes a lot for a man to get there. And when he finally does get there, you realize that, you know, this promise, you know, this this uh, this so-called obligation that you've taken on, you're the only one tethered to it. Wow. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's you know, that's a hell of a thing to have to uh, to come to the, to grips with. But, you know, and, and, and it's important what you just said, because I started out the show talking about what my, my a good brother of mine and I were talking about right in relation to this. And I was saying he had been married a couple of times. And one of the things that he had shared with me was that whether we're talking emotionally uh, or physically, right? He he dealt with uh, a partner who attempted to abuse him on a number of levels. But part of what you said is really key to that. He stayed because of these images. He stayed because he was trying to live this out. And I'm not, you know, projecting all of this on him. I've done it myself. I've tried to live this out myself, but it's just like you said, when you're the only one doing it, 
you know, what what kind of relationship does that actually create? Now, I'm not a relationship guru. I'm not trying to give advice about relationships, but I think this is a very basic level conversation that brothers need to have that's real specific to the black community. I mean, let's just put that out there. It's real specific to us because we got a unique history. By the time you get to the late 60s and early 70s, you know, with the rise of the Black is Beautiful era, the Black Power era, there was a very intentional focus on, you know, trying to enhance Black coupling. And we kind of idealized it in a certain kind of way. And so we had these kind of images that were born around that time, you know, and that's why I talk about the velvet painting. Usually you see two people with real big afros <laughs> intertwined on a black velvet background or something and hung up. You know, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You, know, you know, you remember those. But it was that it's that idea and it still persists. So this image here was an image that a good brother of mine had posted up on Facebook. Uh, and I have a lot of brothers and former students that still continue to post these because, in essence, this is what many of us want. This is what many of us grew up seeing on that wall. And we're trying to live that out. But it's it, it, there's a appreciate the support, Keenan. Uh, there's definitely a break from what we imagine and what reality kind of gives us, right? And so yeah. I wanted to, to to explore that a little because I don't know. I really haven't heard too many people raise this as a point of discussion, particularly for Black men to consider. Again, like you, I'm not saying this can't work. I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm not saying, and this, and I'm not even, this is not a show about advocating for interracial relationships over that. I'm not doing none of that. All I'm simply saying is regardless of who you choose, you know, we got to be careful about not letting romanticized, idealized images take priority over reality to the degree, especially that you may find yourself in an abusive situation or a problematic or exploitive situation simply because you really weren't paying attention to the woman you were with versus the woman you hoped she would be. You know, that's, right. that's one aspect of it I want to put on the table. Yeah. Uh, you know, men are just taught to uh, grin and bear it, uh, mm -hmm. to kind of capitulate to the idea. I mean, you know, I've even had black women tell me, you know, older black women, you know, uh, like the mothers of my friends, you know, basically tell me, you know, because, you know, this guy's got a Ph.D. and all of this. Make sure you get with a black woman. You know, make sure you marry a black woman. Don't you don't you bring no white girl home and all of this. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, they're, they're, you know, encouraging you to make sure that you keep it inside of, uh, you know, a black context, your love situation, you know, uh, but I mean, it takes two people for that to work. You know, it takes black women as well as, you know, black men to buy into that idea. And uh, I'm not saying that black women haven't bought into the idea. Uh, but I mean, I also think that, you know, right. Um, black men aren't taught how to walk away. Mm. I mean, it's just assumed that black men will walk away because they don't want to shoulder the responsibility. Right. That, I mean, that's. That's the, the common or prevailing narrative. Black men just don't, you know, uh, they got cold feet. You know, they, yeah. they start breaking out in cold sweats right. when, uh, <laughs> when someone talks about fidelity to family. And, 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 and I, to some degree, I'll say, OK, that's fair, because all men have that uh, reticence and that kind of uh, carefulness because they know how much can go wrong to some degree. OK. Mm -hmm. 
but it's an extra layer on top of it when you know you got people telling you you know to buy into this idea and at the same time they have no obligation to to fulfill the deal i mean you got to think about some of the things that first of all like most women don't want to have a man with multiple partners mm -hmm. okay mm -hmm. so you're like when you're initially dating someone you know uh the woman she tends to take up a lot of your time your resources uh just to you know let you know that you know i'm i'm i, I deserve to be treated in a specific kind of way I, I deserve to be treated well and you know i don't want to deal with you you know having a whole bunch of women and you know i want you to pick me i mean for the most part those are the kind of messages whether they're implicit or explicit that you get from women okay mm -hmm. so when you finally buy into it all you know when you say okay look i'm gonna go ahead and put all my eggs in one basket that's when you become vulnerable mm. because i mean more and more is ex expected of you you know the traditional idea about what a man is supposed to do and how things mm -hmm. are supposed to go the lion's share of any kind of provision is supposed to come from you. Mm -hmm. uh, any risk associated with the context of the relationship is supposed to be born or bared by you. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, any danger or anything like that, you're supposed to be the one who exposes himself to that. Right. So that, you know, she's, you know, prevented from harm or, mm -hmm. you know, shielded from harm. Right. We already know. Okay. So, Nobody tells young men, hey, the first sign of trouble, step off of it. I don't care what is going on. I don't care if you got kids. I don't care if, you know, you got a house. I don't care what it is. I don't care if you got anything connected with this, this individual. If there's a sign of trouble, leave. When, when do men get, get told these kind of things by their right. fathers? A lot of brothers right now growing up today don't even have fathers. Right, right. I'm, I'm not saying I mean, I'm not saying that men, some fathers don't tell their sons this, but like how many mothers are telling their sons this? Because they know the nature of women more than anybody else. And you would think that their fidelity would be to their sons. But often more times than not, man, they're not equipping their sons at all to know how not to be exploited. Uh, so it's 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 just a lot that can go wrong. And you're go ahead. Sorry. sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. And I was going to say that, you know, it's a lot that can go wrong and you're the one who's going to have to be the, the guy who cleans up the mess because there's still this this idea that, you know, women aren't capable of uh, providing for themselves in, in the law okay. and in society at large. You know, mm -hmm. still, I mean, even though women have just the same, you know, opportunity to go make money as, as a man. And you're talking about black women, man, they're more educated. They're more built for the service based economy. Then black men are, mm. you know, uh, you know, the, they don't require a lot of uh, labor these days. I mean, you just need to be able to sit at the terminal. I mean, it, it all depends on what job you're talking about. But I mean, mm -hmm. we've shifted from a manufacturing based economy to a service based economy. So but these when, women, you know, they're more employable than are you. They, they are. But we also have a coupling culture in the black community. Right that still proposes a, a kind of cherry pick traditionalism, right? It's a cherry pick traditionalism in that um, you can protect and provide as is needed, as is desired by your partner. 
But when it comes to, you know, expecting traditionalism from her, feminism allows them a release. So it's a one-way exchange. And so what that usually means when you start talking about resources, when you start talking about income, it becomes this dynamic that many Black men have talked about, especially in the last five years, uh, very publicly, you know, where, where women will tell you, my income is my income, your income is our income, right? And it's stated in a variety of different ways, but what's yours is mine, what's mine is mine. This kind of dynamic, it's a very cherry-picked traditionalism. What? When you think about the kind of imagery that many many Black men walk in the door with, when we want to have that, that Black love ideal, um, you know, that's that becomes a reality we're not prepared for either, because much of the time we're thinking about you know, we're going to face the world together. We're going to fight the world together and so on. So, or, or as my boy Stylus said in the comment section, when he thought about these images, he remembered seeing them in his friend's homes, usually near a home bar adjacent to a doorway shrouded with hanging beads, right? It's a very, it's a very idealized, nostalgic idea that comes with a lot of assumptions that are, I think we bring to the table, but also uh, assumptions that sometimes can be exploited uh, in different ways. Uh, I want to bring up as well to join this conversation uh, one Dr. Ronald Neal. What's going on, brother? Uh-oh, he dropped off. Okay, oh, so man. He'll be back in a minute. Something but what you, you said, though, uh, you know, all I can think about when you say, uh, you know, women have the expectation that she's able to keep what she has, but you're supposed to still have to, uh, you know, fulfill the obligation of provision. The only thing I can remember, you know, I'm uh, 70s baby man, I grew up with hip hop. The only thing I could think of is Onyx, the rap group. <laughs> Throw your guns in the air. Okay. And the Sticky Fingers has a line. Okay. When he says, "What's mine is mine, and what's yours is mine," that's all <laughs> I can think about, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> like a, the rapper Sticky Fingers, like uh, performing a heist, a stick up. <laughs> well, let me. <laughs> Go ahead. What was it's, 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 it's like you're being stuck up. <laughs> who wants to feel like that? Exactly. Like, you know, who and, and, and so many women like are callous, man. They don't care. They only care about their own interests. You know, even to the point where like you showed a video. I was going to show that video, uh, but I just kind of pulled back from showing it. I guess I might do a show on it uh, about the, the little girl talking to a 10 year old father. Yeah, it, it gets it even gets to the point where they'll pull away from you and make your make your own children turn against you mm. and become disrespectful and rebellious to you. But see, man, we're, we're talking about a whole bunch of things that can go wrong. But hold and, on. See, what, what makes that even worse is when when you're tied to this image right here. And despite how you're actually being treated in your own family, if you keep coming back to this, how available are you making yourself to be exploited? And do you know how to walk away when nobody ever taught you what the guidelines are? Let me let me welcome Dr. Ronald Neal, who's no stranger to the show. What's going on, man? Oh, can't hear you, Mike. What's going on, brothers? What's happening, man? What's happening? Yeah, we can hear you. I hear you, brother. I'm man. glad you can make this one, man. <laughs> listen, 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 man. I mean, all of us, um, you, Dr. Johnson, Green Gorilla, I mean, we are all pretty close in age, man. And mm -hmm. uh, and so what happened, <clears throat> excuse me, 
So you remember these? When I look at this image, man, man, back in the nineties, particularly, man. I mean, these images were all over the place. Mm-hmm. And uh, hold on, somebody missed. Okay, these images were all over the place. Let me, let me just give you an example, man. So I was a graduate student at Vanderbilt uh, between nineteen ninety eight and two thousand and three. Okay, and I lived in Nashville, man, and mm-hmm. I. When I first moved to to Nashville, I lived in North Nashville. I lived in the historic part of Nashville, uh, Black Nashville, on Jefferson Street. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a bookstore that was right around the corner from where I lived called Alkibu Land Bookstore. Oh yeah, okay. and um, Alkibu Land Bookstore is still there, mm-hmm. and uh, and they're still going strong and everything. And mm-hmm. it was a part of the tradition of the Black bookstore, you know. Right. So, right. so I mean, you all you all know this, man. Black bookstores were very vibrant uh, in the 1990s and even before the 1990s and what have you, man. And you would walk into those stores and you would see these images, these portraits. You might see an yeah. image of what was supposed to be a black, a black Jesus, right? Yeah. So yeah. you got this muscle-bound black man. You got <laughs> dreadlocks. <laughs> you got a muscle-bound... Right. A muscle-bound, dark-skinned black man. He's dark now. He's super dark. Yes, sir. He got dreadlocks. Yes, he has a beard. Yes, all right. And he is hung up on the cross. You know, it's stretched out, crucifixion style or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Or you just see just a regular black man, dreadlocks, muscles, um, you know, beard and everything. And this is the black messiah. Okay, yes. this is the image yes. of the black messiah. You never see an overweight <laughs> black messiah. He's never skinny. <laughs> he has yes. to have a beard. He, he never has a bald head. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? He doesn't mm-hmm. look effete or feminine or anything, man. This dude looks like he plays for the Tennessee Titans. Okay, Richard uh, Sherman. Right. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go, Sherman, man. And so, and these images, they were so popular among among Black people, man. You know, particularly, as you said, man, the nationalists, the Afrocentric-oriented people and what have you. And, you know, those of us who dealt with women who had that type of sensibility, man, you know, that's what they kind of, that's what they cleave to. It's kind of like, so, so think about this, man. Remember when, you know, Black Panther came out and remember the film, um, the Marvel yeah. film of Black Panther. Yeah. Yes. If you remember, man, women were going crazy over Umbaku. Remember Umbaku? Yes. Yes. The yes. guy who lived in the guy who lived in the mountains and all that kind of stuff. You know what uh-huh. I'm saying? He was the he was the he was the antithesis of T'Challa. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they had they had to go to Umbaku to to, to save the, the doggone kingdom. You know, at the end of the film, you know what I'm saying? Uh, from from Killmonger, of course, right? Mm-hmm. But um, but that's the kind of image of black masculinity that was very popular, you know, yeah. uh, in that era. And then then when you when you couple it with the Earth Goddess, right? The Earth Goddess. <laughs> when you couple it with an Erica Badu. Okay. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Erica Badu during the nineties. On and on and on and on and on and to break it down. <laughs> you couple that, hey, hey, hey. You couple that with Erica Badu during the nineties, and then later on, you couple that with Jill Scott. Yes, sir. Okay. 
Yes, I'm sir. talking about the, 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 the early, the Jill Scott that we were introduced to, yes. all right, yes. uh, 1990, 1996, I believe. You're okay. getting in the way of what I'm feeling. There you go. There you go. There you go. You're getting in the way of what I'm feeling. You know? Man, you couple, you couple that, you couple that with Bardu and mm -hmm. Jill Scott, you know, mm -hmm. and then a, a little later, I'm, I'm, I'm being more liberal here. India Irie comes around just a little bit later. You know what I'm yes, saying? Sir. But yes, India, yes, India Irie, she, 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 yeah, she comes around a little, a little later, but she doesn't look mm -hmm. like Erica Bardu, right? Right. She don't look like Jill Scott. Okay, mm -hmm. but she does embody this type of earth-based yes. Yes. woman yes. and what yes. have you. And we are going to strip. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, brothers. We're going to get rid of all of the baggage of modernity, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to get rid of all of these layers of so-called Western civilization. And we're going to take this thing back to the very essence. And we're going to live. Uh, uh, an earth-based lifestyle. Today, talk about veganism and all that kind of stuff. You know right, what I mean? Right, right. And women, the women, the women are not going to use birth control. They are not going to use birth control. <laughs> there ain't no birth control in this thing. <laughs> no chemicals, no vaccine, no, no chemicals, terms, no nothing. You know anything. what I'm saying? Right, we're gonna right. do this. We're gonna do this thing naturally. You're gonna have the doulas. The doulas right. gonna come out. Natural right. childbirth. We're we going to do it the way the slaves did it. Understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. that that's how we're going to do it, you know? And right. so, yeah, those are very, very powerful images. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. And you guys have already, you guys have already, um, you know, outlined this, man. The reality is, is that it never offset these images and even these kind of, you know, ideas that were embodied in these images. It never offset the impact of feminism, it never mm -hmm. offset the impact of uh, what happened to us after the '60s. It mm. never offset. The, it never offset the impact of what I have been talking about the the broken contract. Mm. Okay, the, not just the broken, but the the contract that black women destroyed. Okay, after the 1980s, and mm -hmm. the extent to which all black women. Um, either internalize or have not been able to escape deep layers of anti-black misandry that has always been with black people. Always been, always been there. We, we know that it, it, it didn't, you know, from, from history, that anti-black misandry is not just something that's peculiar to the 21st century. Mm -hmm. That it has, it, it has been there. It was a part of the slave trade. It was a part of Jim Crow. Um, when you listen to the blues, uh, when you when you when you read people, uh, hell shit, you read uh, uh, Elders Cleaver, you read a whole bunch of people. Okay. It was always there. Yeah. And and the thing is, is that these images they're very and, and, and they were very seductive for a lot of black men. And I have to be honest with you, brothers. I mean, I because I, I walked the fence, man. I walked the fence during that particular era, of the nineties. Because I was, I was, I was caught between black nationalism, and I ain't gonna lie, man, and and and, and black male independence. <laughs> uh, um, okay, okay, okay. You know, I didn't call it black male independence at that particular time. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? But I was caught against black black nationalism, which venerated black women, which had no evaluations of black women. Mm -hmm. I was caught between that 
and what I was actually experiencing in my relationships and in my interactions with the women in my lives. Right. When, so I'm, 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 I'm caught between the black goddess, right? The black yes. goddess who can't do no wrong. And she is divine and everything like that. I'm caught between the black goddess and the black, the black widow. Okay. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> the black widow who kills her husband, who kills her, oh. who kills the, the, the person who is closest to her. Oh, black goddess who was predatory and manipulative. Okay, mm. I was caught between those two realities, bro. Man, you, you that that tension is exactly one one of the reasons I brought brought this discussion up today because many of us don't know how to talk about it. We live it, and I still know brothers my age that are still going through this cycle of trying to make this idea a reality while not dealing with the fact that the women that you're you're choosing from don't share this image. They don't share this philosophy, this idea. Well, they say they do. Well, they say they do, or they uh, say but they, they do. don't. Yeah. Right. Or, or they say they do. But but here's but what, what, what we're getting at, though, is that I think these brothers are highly susceptible to being exploited because of it. You know, it goes to what you just said, Gigi, which, what they say they do. It's easy to do. Because as long as you, you you live up to this idea, you know what I mean. He'll move heaven and earth to create the reality that we kind of talk about. I mean, you can and, and again, the '90s is an important era, and I and I appreciate you bringing that up, Doctor Neil, because it's important. I mean, you could you could add on people like Michelle and Degiacello singing about dreadlocks, and you know, they, you had that whole neo soul era, yes. which was really picking up off the impulses of the 1970s. And kind of reintroducing them, so you had that as you as you put it, that naturalistic, you know, vegetarian, earth-based philosophy, and that you know, and so we took that, we digested that, and many of us sought to find ways to live that out. Now, this is the one of the things I noticed, you know, after my wife passed. Again, I've told this story several times, so I'm not going to go through the whole story. But when I became single again, and I started looking around, one of the things I noticed was how many of my Afrocentric brethren, because mind you, I went to Temple. I went to Temple University, did my master's in African-American studies there. I was in the middle of all of that Afrocentricity. And one of the things I started to see more and more was how many of my brothers went international to make this image happen. And and and, and nobody had said anything out, out loud. And I, w- I really wasn't prepared for that, but that was the kind of you know, that was the kind of gesture that we saw, you know, people making and nobody would say anything, you know, but the idea was, you know, you weren't supposed as long as you stayed away from a white woman, you were cool. But then you started seeing brothers dealing more internationally with black women from elsewhere. And it was quite, it was kind of a quiet um, kind of uh, frustration that I began to hear from American black women, but nobody really would talk about it openly. Right. So you guys are hitting at some of the main points that I think play a role in this. What, you know, what do we say to brothers who are living this, but going through repeatedly going through the failure of this idea? What do you say to brothers who are still trying to live this out? Oh, man, you you know what, Uh, man? See, here's the deal. The black nationalists knew very early on that you don't have any black nationalism without the black family. It just, it can't exist. Right. So they have to buy into this idea. I mm-hmm. mean, um, you know, it, 
at a rudimentary uh, basic level. If, otherwise, nationalism is dead. Mm. I mean, what? how can you buy into it, black nationalism, without the black family? First of all, you can't reproduce mm. yourself. You can't mm. have the value system reproduced also, uh, mm. you know, within the context mm. of uh, an interracial family. I mean, how are you going to tell your white wife, you know, power to the people and all that, you know? Uh, <laughs> it's... It's uh, you know, uh, but the, uh, what I guess what they didn't realize uh, was that you know eventually, the social forces that existed, you know, in their surrounding environment would just kill nationalism. It's it's dead, bro. Mm. I'm sorry. Mm. I'm, I, I, I hate to be the one to bear the bad news, but it's over, bro. Yeah, yeah. You know th these women, uh, you know. They're not what they used to be, man. These ain't Fannie Lou Hamas no more, bro. You know, this this ain't, uh, I forget who's, uh, what's Emmett Till's mother's name? Uh, Mamie. Mamie. Mamie? Ain't, mm -hmm. There ain't no Mamie's no more, bro. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but right now what you got is, you might have a woman clothe herself in the garb of Neo Soul. Okay? They might look the part, but they ain't playing the part. You know, because it's the same way that you got Erica Badu talking about three dollars and six dimes. Mm -hmm. You know, she's still she's still telling Tyrone, you know, she still got some lip for Tyrone. <laughs> you know, what I mean, you know, she, you better call him. Don't 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 mess with me. Uh, you, you better call Tyrone. So this this attitude, this idea, you know, that. uh I don't need you. You're not productive. You're not living up to my standards. You don't have all of the stuff to, you know, require my fidelity. I mean, you know, to 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 earn my fidelity. Uh, you know, th these ideas are hard for these women to shake, man. So, and 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 another thing, man. You know, I've seen because I used to have a partner that played in a reggae band, man. He went full roster, and you know, like that's almost like the closest the next best thing to being a black nationalist, right? Uh, mm -hmm. I only eat ITIL food. Uh, you know, I'm right. listening to Bob Marley and uh, we singing his songs and we're talking about chasing crazy bald heads out of town and Africa <laughs> Unite. And, uh, right. right. Man, mm -hmm. you go to these shows, man. You see these brothers, man, messing around with these white chicks, man, smoking cocaine, bro. Mm. That's when I knew. That's when I said to myself, oh, my God, bro, black nationalism is dead. Because yeah. the, the only people around to actually live it out are people who have some deep-seated issues. Mm. Super deep issues, man. Like, I mean, smoking crack, man. Uh, mm. <laughs> you know, like the same problems that other black people have, man. But and, and, and it's funny to me, man, that, you know, black nationalism typically is a blue-collar black person's uh, ideology. You know what I'm saying? Uh -oh. it, it ain't too many... It ain't too many uh, Middle class black Negroes, man, extolling the virtues of black nationalism. Maybe when they're younger, they'll be okay. on that public enemy fight the power type of stuff. But as soon as they get that uh, 80 plus K salary, it's like, oh, man, I got to look after my uh, <laughs> my own interests now, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I would. Um, now, I agree everything with everything with uh, what Gigi has just said, man, I, I think. It is dead, man. I, and, and here's the evidence of it. So whatever is left of it, the vestiges of it, mm -hmm. it's on the internet, man. You know, 
and wow. uh, it's, it's 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 social media. It's Twitter. It's Instagram. It's Facebook. It's YouTube. You know, I mean, black nationalists, and, and and this is just a, this is a reality, man. Um, and this is where feminists go wrong, and where their their calculus and, and their ideas are tired about black nationalism. I mean, black nationalism has really have not has not been an influential force. A real influential force in black society since the 70s, man. You know what I'm saying? You don't have any real institutions um, comparable to churches, comparable to temples, comparable to mosques. The nation of Islam. That's all you got. The nation of Islam. They hate that. that. Oh, man. That's all you got. All we have is the NOI. Okay? And, uh, And beyond that, you look on YouTube, most of the guys who are talking the pro-black stuff, I mean, those guys are not connected to anything substantive, okay? They're just talking heads. Most of the pro-black folks on YouTube are just simply talking heads, ideas, people with microphones, cameras, and all that kind of stuff. Not to say that those things are not significant. It, it, it says that the ideology is still alive, but... It does not have the kind of potency. Here's here's the one I, I want to say to the brothers who are still in there, man, um, is that you have to take your lived experience seriously, man. I mean, black men have to take what they encounter in the in the real world um, for for what it is. I mean, that is the true test of ideology, man. I really think the merits, the efficacy of any ideology, whether it's black nationalist or liberal or feminist, whatever you want to call it, its effectiveness and potency is tested by what happens in the real everyday world. Our Our concrete everyday experiences with human beings. And so I'm not a black nationalist. I, I don't identify. I was once, I once identified as a black nationalist. I still read black nationalist literature. I still read Pan-Africanist. I still read Afrocentrism and all that kind of stuff. But mm. I don't I don't have I don't have this type of naivete um that some of that stuff demands. I I I don't feel a loyalty. Here's the so here's the thing is that no. I don't feel no loyalty to marry to marry a woman just because um, there is this demand to keep black people going. Yeah. I don't even story, man. I knew a brother who grew up in a in a I, I guess it was a, a nationalist communist family. I was living in South Carolina, man. Okay. And, uh, and this is a black man. We all from the same age. I was in my thirties at a particular time. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I'm, ma- I'm I'm not married. I've never been married. I don't have any kids. I don't have any kids. Right. And and this brother who has an African name, he was like Ron. He said, "Ron, we need your seed. We need your seed, man." Wow. You're not. He told me. He said, "He said you're not married. You don't mm-hmm. have any kids. Mm-hmm. You, need to, you need to. You need to contribute to the black nation. We need your seed. We need your intelligence. We need your DNA." He was serious about that. Yeah, I used to hear that. Okay. At yeah. He was serious. And, and, and the thing was, it was like, he said, and, and, I, and I'm trying to get him to understand is that I have no incentive. This was in the, this was the early 2000s. I said, but I have no incentive to get married. Mm. And I have no incentive because of my lived experience. Yeah. Because, because these women are not committed to, to, to long-term, permanent, indestructible, to death do us part, unconditional marriage. Mm-hmm. They're not committed to it. 
And that's the thing, brothers. Which means they're they're not committed to this this, this, this idea of a black nation. They're not committed to it. So I'm not going to invest in it. Yeah, it takes takes the other person to be a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, that's 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 one of the deceptions of the moment, because if you if you if you don't really delve into the literature on black nationalism, what everyday folk will tell you is that organizations like BLM are are exemplars of current day nationalism. And, and how? Because because they're out in the streets sacrificing for black men. Right. And I hear this all over social media. They're out fighting for black men and black men are ungrateful. Because they don't, you know, they don't pedestalize, you know, BLM or women that are involved in that. And I'm talking most specifically, especially about the formal organization itself, right? And and because we don't pedestalize them, we're somehow these ungrateful ne'er do wells that deserve what we're getting. Because in essence, we're turning away from the modern moment, the modern black nationalism. But that's not actually black nationalism. And, and I think it goes back earlier to what you both were talking about in terms of how uh, really a certain type of romanticized idea of nationalism was wholly unprepared for black feminism. And, and, and the degree to which black feminism internalized very Xandric ideas about black men, and if, and if anything, fostered that low-boiling contempt for black men that we see in African-American culture. It's in the culture. It's so much a part of the culture that we don't differentiate it. As a matter of fact, if you call it out, you're going to be attacked for somehow being anti-black, right? That video you brought up earlier, Gigi, of the father and the daughter, when I posted that on Facebook and I called out, appreciate the support, Broken Blade. When I called out the fact that the mother bears some critique, the mother should, because the father brought her up in terms of the daughter. And those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, I did a short video of it. I think yesterday you can check out. But there were people that were so frustrated at the very idea of... Uh, Thank you, Dr. Conroe. Good to see you in here. There were so many people that were frustrated at the basic idea of critiquing women. Men and women, right? Men and women were frustrated at the very concept of holding women accountable for their part in the current state of the Black family. But part of the reason all of that has taken place is because we've internalized this this kind of feminist impulse, which, again, cherry picks traditionalism and supports a misandry. And and there's no converse. We don't we often don't know how to even talk about it. So when you got brothers who are trying to live this out and I and I, I was the same as Dr. Neal, I was I was a nationalist. I was trying to live out a very particular idea of it. I showed some pictures earlier, a picture earlier in the show of my wedding. You know, I was trying to live this out and literally live in a painting, but I wasn't prepared for not just the misandry you can experience with a partner, but also in the families and also in the society and the extent to which the only one who was really who was really being exploited, you know, by living up to this idea was was me because nobody else was really engaged in it. And I thought that this was something that was still being revered. You know what I mean? I thought it was something that was still being revered. Yeah, that's, you know, Florida Evans and James. Yes. You know, that's, that's gone. You know, Theodore and, uh, not Theodore, but yeah, I guess Theodore and Claire. Oh, uh, oh, oh, oh. you're talking about yeah. Cliff and Claire. Cliff and, mm-hmm. yeah, Cliff and Claire. That's, that's, you know, it's, uh, 
it's over with, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, all you got now, like the last television I, show I saw or even could stomach to watch to any degree of time was the new Mike Epps show with him and Kim Fields. Uh, oh, okay. And uh, I don't know if you've seen that television show yet, but uh, oh, oh, man, the Upshaws or something like that. Man, okay. it's terrible, bro. You know, basically they got right now the, uh, the idea about a black family is an adolescent black man doesn't matter how old he is. Doesn't have matter how many kids he's got. Mm-hmm. He's a he's a permanent adolescent being coached and steered in the right direction, being mothered by his uh, by his wife or his baby mama. That's what you're gonna see nowadays on TV. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's dead, bro. Like, wh- wh- where do you see it? You, you don't see it I, anymore. I would say- I, I, I say brothers and young guys, especially young guys in particular, and I'm I, I'm hoping I'm right about this, you know, with disease and everything like that. I don't know what's going on with with disease, disease level, young men, because they're they're exposed to so many different ideas today. You know what I'm saying? So it, it's hard to say where they're going, um, you know, with this and the future and what have you. But I would say, man, listen to your lived experience. You know, I mean. And, you know, we are taught, especially in academia, man, you know, um, and, and, that, and, and that has been my my war, my ideological war over the last, you know, 25, almost 30 years in being in this world as an academic, what have you, is that, you know, you are basically told that you're supposed to deny, you're supposed to ignore, you're supposed to minimize <clears throat> your lived experience. Okay, mm-hmm. so in your day to day experience, if you're if you're dealing with violence, in your interactions. And let me say this: I, I want I wanted to be clear. I want to put this on the record. Um, I've had wonderful relationships with black women. Okay, mm-hmm. I've had positive relationships with black women. I, I'm not one of these people who all my experiences have been negative and harsh and blah 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 blah. blah, blah and I'm just I'm, I'm in all this pain. You know who hurt you? That kind of stuff. Right. Um. No, it's, it's not there. But here's the thing. Black women are human beings. Mm-hmm. And, and, black women, and black women are influenced by everything that's around them. Mm. Okay? And, and the reality is, is that, you know, uh, lots of black women do not reject or assess or critically interrogate all the, all the influences that are around them, including the you know, the Massandrus influences and everything and the cultural and history, historical influences, you know what I'm saying? And so the thing is, is that, you know, black men have to, you know, you look at what's going on and you allow that to be a a measure, a calculus, a test of all of these ideologies, you know what I'm saying? And and, and you don't stop there. You just, you you start with your lived experience, but you go further and you just look at black men at large and you start examining the world and everything. Anyway, here's the thing. Here's another piece, another thing to think about. So on my Facebook page recently, my Facebook page, I talked about this young woman who is very popular in social media. Her name is Erica Lachey. Uh, And and Erica Lachey is a woman, I believe she's about 30 years old, maybe 31 or whatever. I think she's 30 years old. She's very popular. And she's on Instagram. She's on Facebook. She's on Twitter. She's an artist. She's a poet, all sorts of things. And she's a single woman 
Um, she, she's, from what I gather from her, her social media presence, she's never been married, right? And she's nationalistic oriented. She's black oriented. Mm -hmm. um, she might be a Pan-Africanist. I, I identify her as a black nationalist, okay? In, in, in terms of how she talks. She's talking right. about, she's always talking about black men, right? Mm -hmm. And this is a, a woman, a very, very attractive, intelligent, you're in your 30s. And she's talking about black men defending black men and talking about black families and black relationships and all and black love. Mm -hmm. And she's she's not married. Mm. She doesn't have any children. Okay. She's not she's not connected to a black man. Okay. And she's kind of like Umar Johnson. Okay? okay. So you got a Umar Johnson who he's the same way, black family, black flood, love. We got to protect and defend the black woman. How many, mm -hmm. how many children does he have from different women? Maybe, you know, he has two, two, from what I know, I don't know all the details, but I know that he has children from more than one woman. Okay. Not married. Mm -hmm. He comes out of these traditions. He comes out of the tradition. This woman comes out, she articulates herself out of this tradition and they are not married. Mm -hmm. And the question becomes is, all right, if you were really serious about these ideologies, it would be reflective in your lived experiences. Okay. And what you do, you understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And and what I'm, I guess what I'm, what I what I want to to point out is that when you have when you have people like this who are in the in the in the in the realm of social media and technology who are pushing black nationalism and what have you, and their lives do not completely exemplify or mm. embody what these ideologies mean it suggests to me that there are holes that there are problems that there are flaws that there are deficiencies mm -hmm. in these ideologies that need to be taken seriously and black men need to take this stuff seriously mm. Mm. yeah i mean but you know um at the at the end of the day you know uh you know, I've read the, to the brothers, man, the Combahee River Collective over and over and over again, man. And uh, right. for the most part, man, these women are laughing at black nationalist men, uh, as far as I'm concerned, man. I mean, they look on them, they look at them, I guess, with uh, amusement. Uh, <laughs> it's like, po child, you're trying to live out this idea. You, uh, you're a sucker, man. I mean, I, I hate to say this because uh, the extent to which you buy into this idea. Is the extent to which you you leave yourself vulnerable to exploitation, bro? I hate to say it, um, and it would work. It would work if if uh, members of the black community would you know actually buy into it. But we live in a different day and age, man. Uh, and you're the one that's going to have to bear the cost of rifts in relationships. It's just it is what it is, mm -hmm. and uh, you know men need to understand the risk. And uh, whether it be black men, white men, yellow men, purple men, whatever, you got some risk associated with tethering yourself to a woman nowadays. It just is what it is. It uh, doesn't matter what your ideology is. doesn't matter what your religion is. doesn't matter, uh, you know, what your socioeconomic class is. I mean, to some degree it does because you can kind of offset uh, some of the, the costs or you, at least you can pay the costs, right, yeah. if, if you're in a certain tax bracket. But coupling yourself with a woman today is a risky enterprise 
It just is. Mm-hmm. It, it, and, and understand, and even having a kid, you would think that that some men believe that having a child with a woman is going to tether you to that woman for good. It's not. Yeah. I can tell you right now, it will not. <laughs> okay. Uh, all it means is that you have a child. Okay, that's that's what it means. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be able to have an influence or impact over that child's life the way that you want to. Because a lot of that is left up to chance now. So uh, just beware, man. Uh, Be careful. Well, here's here's what I want to do. I'm going to drop the link and most and and I'm going to invite a few invite a few people up to to comment, uh, give their thoughts on the matter. Um, and, and, And I'm going to ask. And I haven't asked him this in advance, but I'm going to ask if Keep It 100 wants to also co-host, you know, so we, you know, so he can stay up on the screen. Depends on his schedule. Like I said, I didn't ask him, but I seen he just popped into the chat. But I'm going to drop the link for the Streamyard into the comment section, and I'm going to let people come up and 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 give their comments. And as you guys know, we got the Green Gorilla here, we got Dr. Ronald Neal, we got myself, and we're talking about the ways in which. You know, the idea, the idealized image of black love, especially the ones we see on images like this, play into black men's experiences and and what that means in 2021. What do black men have to take into account? What do they have to consider? Um, You know, and what's going on with that? So I just dropped the link. So I'll let you guys come up in here and uh, keep it. Let me just say this, man. I want to say this, man. Um because I think that we, we we talk about this a lot, man, but feminism has had, and Gigi has talked about this a lot in his platform, feminism has had an extraordinary impact on American society, American feminism in particular. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Black women, whether they identify with it or not, have internalized many of these ideas. So... Here's the deal. So, so women are socialized to believe that they must have the upper hand in relationships. They are socialized to believe that they are the ones who are to benefit exclusively from relationships. They are socialized to believe that relationships are not based on any type of negotiation. Um, relationships do not involve any type of sacrifice. Um, relationships do not involve any type of trade-off. Okay, that is, is that it, it must be, it must benefit. So, you know, my response to it is, is, is black male independence and black male self-interest. That black men need to be self-interested. Okay, um, there, and, and it's a response to an orientation that says that it must every relationships, marriage, family, and everything must always benefit the self-interest of a woman, and when it does not benefit their self-interest, they must dissolve the relationship in their minds. Okay. And so this this is all over the place, man. It's all over the place in in black nationalism, pan-Africanism, Afrocentrism. All these pro-black positions um, have been have have been have been neutralized, compromised, and even impotent in the face of all this stuff. So it's very difficult, even when I meet women. When I see them online or meet them in person and they have these pro-black positions, man, you know, you have to look at them with the side eye, bro, because you know how they've been conditioned. Okay. 
what we're going to do, I'm going to have uh, Charles and Keep It 100, Marcus, I want you to introduce yourselves, you know, kind of briefly give us your position We got because we got a couple of people in the waiting room. Uh, for those of you who are in the StreamYard waiting room, be patient. I'm going to get you in here. Uh, but I want these two brothers to introduce themselves and give us briefly their perspective on the topic, and then we're going to bring some people in. So let's start. Uh, uh, we'll go in order of how they came in. Let's do Marcus first. Uh, introduce yourself, brother, and give us your thoughts, and then we'll go to Officer Charles. Okay, what's going on, gentlemen? Uh, as usual, I am very happy to uh, join the accredited fellows as an unaccredited fellow. <laughs> oh, man. Um, no doubt. What's going on, bro? Um, what's up? What's up? Uh, yeah, what's going on? Um, you know, me, me and Gigi have had this conversation plenty of times. Uh, somebody's calling. Hold on, let me decline that call. Uh, pardon me, y'all. Um, me and me and uh Gigi have had this discussion plenty of times, man. I think that uh, you know, us as black men, you know especially growing up in single mother households, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're still sold that dream, you know, that, 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 you know, that kumbaya of the, of the black community. And, you know, we're all going to come together and, you know, we as black men, uh, we're told our masculinity is derived from what we do for black women, mm. you know? Um, and, and a lot of us believe that a lot of us have walking away, walked away from that, uh, you know, uh, as of late, but again, like this is something I've challenged since I was young. Cause it never made sense to me because I was always, you know, looking at it from a standpoint of what's in it for me. You know, I, I've, I've always looked at it that way. Um, but again, if your, if your self-esteem, um, is sold to you by what you do for women, um, and, and everyone else is, you know, uh, believing the same thing and is taught the same thing. It's, it's normal. I always say that only the, the first round of Africans knew they were slaves and the second and third generations did not because they were born into it and it was normal. So I say that for, you know, most black men that are born in, you know, the black community and black culture, it's normal to them to to worship women and to, you know, derive their manhood by their service to women. Okay. Okay. Um, let's get Officer Charles an uh, introduction and, and an overview, and then we'll we'll go to Ian. What's up, Officer? Hey, what's up? Whatever was fun, by the way. And ooh, Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> I'm also known as a man called Fault. Okay. Uh, I look at this subject in a very, very delicate lens. Okay. It's like it's like you want something so badly, but you know that shit ain't gonna ever exist. Okay. Okay. When you have to, when you basically have to look at the situation and go through the statistics of it and say, "Damn, there's an eighty percent chance this chick is gonna leave me." Wow. Even yeah. if we have a successful marriage, mm -hmm. she's probably gonna. Let's say I get. Let's say we have a disagreement. She's gonna turn them damn kids against me. Mm. She's gonna think, just like you when you showed that video. By the way, that was my child. Oh, there've been repercussions. But we look at this, and 
we look at these paintings. Matter of fact, I have the same painting, the one where the the couple's coming off the rocks called Made for You. Mm. I love the paintings, but at the same time, I'm looking at it like this is it's like a comic book to me. Okay. It's only good it's only good in the imagination, not in the not in the physical realm. Okay. Like what have you what have you done for me to even want to put myself on the limb? I had to say this to a female coworker not too long ago. Give me one reason black men should even trust you, let alone marry you. Okay. She tried to come up with some BS, and I said, no, no, no. I said, give us one reason. You turned your back on us in so many areas of history. You turned your back on us in so many areas of politics and education. Hell, you even turned your back on us when it comes to law and law enforcement. Mm. Give me one reason. And when we broke it down, she said, I can't even really give you any, sweetheart. I said, so don't feed me fantasy when my reality dictates something different. Mm. And that's, that's, that's the issue, man. Uh, you know, it's, that's the issue. And I, the biggest issue that any black man ought to have with feminism is the double standard, is the mine's is mine and yours is mine viewpoint that it that, that it, it basically superimposes upon the female population, bro, or, or, or women. Doesn't matter what their race is. I mean, black women more, more so because of their economic condition and uh, his, history uh, in, in the United States. But the problem, the, the fatal flaw, and the one thing the feminists are not going to be able to, I, I think, over the long haul, be able to maintain is this this idea that women ought to have choices. Okay, so they can choose to be a traditional woman, or they can choose to be, you know, this this I guess this idea of a new woman, this independent, uh, you know, self sustaining, uh, autonomous woman, mm -hmm. right? Or they, or they can decide, you know, I, well, I'm going to be a traditional woman if I want to. Yeah. How, do, how does a man traverse the world where women are just moving in and out of social roles at will? Well, you know, I, I think I think one of the things you and, um, and and Charles just hit on that that really challenges the black um, uh, the black love idea or ideal to the greatest extent is the use of the state. The use of the state against black men. Even if we just started and left it at divorce, what Charles said a moment ago was key, right? You know, half of, half of marriages in, in America end in divorce and 80% of that are initiated in the black community by women. How do you navigate the black love ideal knowing you have an 80% chance of having the state being used against you? You know what I mean? Let me bring in uh, brother Ian. Um, Ian, I want you to introduce yourself and give us uh, briefly give us your your thoughts about where, this conversation. What's up, man? Ian, can you hear us? Uh oh, I don't know what's going on. Ian, can you hear us? Okay, I'm gonna bring Ian down. Um, and Ian, if you're in the back chat. Uh, go ahead and let me know when you get your mic together. 
and I'll bring you back up. Um, we got a brother here. And I don't want to mispronounce his name. Uh, Kasank, I believe it is, but um, I'll let the brother uh, introduce himself. Uh, I'm still there. Uh, Kasank, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, now we can hear you. Yes. Okay. What's going on now? Okay, I want to touch on uh, something that uh, uh, Dr. Ronald Neal spoke about. Now, um, in the 90s, in addition to these bookstores, there was a proliferation of black culture and what we call it Afrocentrism. And this came out, and especially in Brooklyn, with uh, Dr. John Henry Clark, Benjamin, uh, Dr. Ben, um, and many, many more. And they were lecturing, going to the lecture circuit, doing things like the slave theater and whatnot. And um, what was coming out of that we saw was so-called comedic religion, understanding that we were the original Egyptians, that African history is not, hasn't been told to us correctly. So there were these books written by Dr. Francis Cross Wells and many more disseminating this information. So that brought about a, this cohesiveness um, and this kind of like uh, a feeling of black nationalism. And again, what kind of spearheaded this was the idea of the ancient Egyptians and all of that, the king and the queen. Now, um, one of the things that we, 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 we saw was that black men and women were coming together under that guise um, to work together, you know, the Egyptian king and his queen and everything like that. But the, but, you know, I had the opportunity to talk with uh, Dr. Clark and I was doing a documentary with him and I said that, um, you know, if we just do lectures, this will never go anywhere. But if we if we teach it in terms of a culture, a tradition, a religion, it will it will be, it will bring us together. So we uh, flash, you know, we cut to present day, and what we see is that um, brothers were very sincere about trying to bring this culture about, which you can see now in the so-called hotel community, which is you know. They have some problems, but there was, I, I think, it's black men and black women together. So, uh, but the problem that happened was black women, in my eyes, rejected this. And it wasn't an overt rejection, it was kind of like a, a covert rejection in favor of the Christian church. So, um, and I, I believe a lot of that has the its roots in the, um, the Zaddy phenomena that uh, uh, black women. Uh, will will bow down to a white Jesus, and even if the the, the preacher is black, like a Cruffle Dollar or T.D. Jakes, he's the proxy to the white Jesus. So what I'm saying is this: you know, we see these photographs of the black love and all that. We kind of had something that was coming out of the '90s, where it was a, a movement to bring us together in the form of the religion, you know. But it fell apart because black women rejected that. Um, in favor of the Christian um, system and ideology. So, but okay. if, if if black women had embraced it, I believe there would there would be that cohesion today. Okay, well, I appreciate that. Um, we're having a little bit of second issues with you, but I'm I'm going to bring someone up and and bring you down. But I want people to respond uh, or anybody in, on the panel to kind of respond to what you introduced. But thank, how do I pronounce your name, brother? Oh yes, Kitsang Maakeparu. Okay, thank you for coming up, man. Appreciate it. I wish you'd have kept that brother on, man. Yeah, because uh, yeah, I want to respond for yeah, I, I wish you would have kept him on. He's on. He's on. Yeah, yeah, so here's my thing, right? Um, If you just look at the empirical data, man, it, it demonstrates that you, you didn't start to see this rift in black family life until after the feminist movement and 
the institution of the great society programs, okay? Uh, basically welfare, you, you, the man out of the home rule, okay? You didn't start to see this breaking down of the tradition of the black family being together until you see these movements and these institutions come to the fore. So I, just my personal opinion, okay, based upon the evidence, I don't think Christianity uh, is, is what it is. I think uh, that what it is, is a new set of cultural uh, and, uh, you know, objective conditions which have obtained that women have bought into wholeheartedly. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's unfortunate because I grew up in the same era, man. I went to the black uh, uh, bookstore almost every other day, man. It, it was called Sankofa where I came from, okay? Uh, so I read Dr. John Henry Clark. I read Ben Yakinen. I read Ivan Van Sertima, Chiak Anthony Diop, Theophilo Binga, you know, Anthony Browder, uh, the whole nine. I read it all, okay? Uh, and, and I do like black nationalism to some extent, but the point is black nationalism never will work if black women don't buy into it. And I don't think it has anything to do with religion per se. I mean, I can, I can understand, you know, your perspective from an Afrocentric perspective, the Christian religion was a, a, a religion that was bastardized from the ancient comedic and it was given to us, uh, you know, by slave masters. But at the end of the day, um, these women haven't bought into it, bro. Uh, they haven't bought into Afrocentricism. They haven't even bought into Christianity as far as I'm concerned, man. I mean, it's, it's one thing to, to be a, a, a sino. It's another thing to live out Christian doctrine. <laughs> and right now, these women ain't even living out Christian doctrine, bro. Nope. So it's, it's, it's a whole bunch of things going on. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're getting some blowback from somebody's mic. Uh, yeah, it ain't my mic because I ain't got YouTube on. Not me. That's Ian. I know it is. He's not uh, up. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. um, well, it's Charles then. Okay, you hear me? Uh, yeah. No. But I want to get, I want, Dr. Neil was about to respond uh, yeah. real quick. Yeah, I think that was Charles's mic. Uh, but Dr. Neil, you were going to respond to Brother Kassan. No, no, no. What I want to, what I want to say is that what black women bought into is America. What they mm -hmm. bought into is, is the. So Charles Murray, Charles Murray, a black, he was a black writer, um, very important, you know, figure during the 1950s and 60s, um, contemporary of Ralph Ellison. He wrote this book many, many decades ago called The Omni Americans. And basically what he said in this book, that black people are quintessential Americans, that black people are not hard. He was a contemporary of Ralph Ellison. Black people at black people, and he talked about, when he talked about black people, he talked about traditional black people. He was a southerner. He came out of Alabama, what have you. That black people follow the American creed of exceptionalism, respectability, and all these sorts of things which aligns them with Anglo-Saxonism, okay? And that Anglo-Saxonism is, is, is caught up, is enmeshed in Christianity, American Christianity. Here's, black women chose something that they felt was superior to what Afros, to what black nationalists and what Afrocentrists offered. And what is that? 
whiteness. Yes. Liberal individualism. Yeah, Liberal individualism. I can do whatever the hell I want to do with my life. I don't have to be tied to a traditional structure, the nuclear family, patriarchy, whatever you want to call it. I can live how I want to live. I can screw anybody whoever want to screw. I can have as many abortions as I want to have. That sort of thing. Black women bought into it. They bought into it in relationship to the entire American project in terms of Americans' dominance in the world. The, the promise of living the lifestyles of the rich and famous. Oprah Winfrey. So they bought into everything that Oprah Winfrey bought into, particularly the professional middle-class, so-called educated black woman and everything that Oprah Winfrey bought into and embodied was regarded as superior. And, and the reality was it was superior because black nationalists, black nationalism, Afrocentric traditions, all that kind of stuff, was never in a position to offer her the kind of goodies that white society and white ideologies offered her after 1980. And black women basically ran with it. And that's in large part why we are where we are. The strong, independent, I don't need no man, black woman is a creation of white society. It just is what it is. I think I think Gigi calls them the gim gimmies and grabems. <laughs> no, the gimmies and the, the gimmies and grabems. Yeah, well, you know, I think well, Ron is right about this uh, because ultimately, man, you know, it's they they get to live out the white American dream, and uh, you know, Sex in the City, bro. <laughs> Honorary, honorary whiteness. We're talking about honor. What does it mean to be an honorary white person? Well, and it's it, but it, we also know it's an illusion because when you look it's at illusion. The, so, so Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris is an honorary white person. Well, Barack Asians, Obama too, though. Asians are come out. Asians are honorary white people. The so-called mm -hmm. modern minority. They're honorary. You know, the honorary white people. And black women have approximated this whole notion of being a modern minority, being an, an honorary white person. Oprah Winfrey is the quintessence of an honorary white person. Now, yes, hey, she is. Yes. Yes, I she want, is, bro. I want to add to what Doc Neal said, all right? <clears throat> Doc, I think what you're saying is very true for black women who want to, you know, carve out their path and be career women and things like that right but for the traditional women the women who want to you know be married to a guy uh giving them things i think for them for women who aren't career-minded for women who are more traditional minded and i'm talking about black women um i think what their resentment for us is what white women get from they're white men in terms of, you know, whatever protections, lifestyle, uh, material items, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they look, they look at us and compare, like you said, what we're offering, whether it be, you know, what black nationalism is offering, what black men are offering compared to what the white woman has from her men. You, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah I get that. I, I but, but here's what I would say to that, man. Right. And this is something that like black men know who, you know, upper middle class black men, 
It don't matter. Like you can get these chicks, man, everything, have them living in luxury, man. <laughs> they taking oh. trips, bro. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, like, like Biggie Smalls. We can cruise the world for girls, date a roost for girls. <laughs> they still not happy, bro. Like, 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 take Emma Smith's wife. You remember that that uh clip that she had where she went uh basically just complaining about how Emmett's not he, he makes her he makes her walk behind him. And Emmett's like, damn, I was trying to think I'm about to go to a speaking engagement. I'm trying to run through my thoughts. So that I could, you know, figure out what it is I'm gonna say, and uh, you know, this is something like Sweetie and, and Quavo, or or it doesn't matter. You you can have all the money, you can have all the status and be able to give them everything they want. They still acting wild. They still going crazy. Because you can't, you can't give them Hold on, we got we got we got a few people going at the same time, and I, I, Officer Charles, I don't think we can hear you that clearly, man. I'm not sure what it is. Okay, uh, Kassan, you were going to respond, and then I want to give Malika and Ian a chance to uh, to say something. Okay, so so here's the, the diabolical part to it. I'm going back to the '90s again, where this the Black National Movement was really really popping. The, the, and and what the sentiment that they were putting out, again, what Dr. Uh, Neil was saying, was that black men need to be with black women. And they did this to the books and to the posters, everything. But, but here's what we did, and this is where we ventured off into misandry. So you see, they, uh, black women used other black men to shame black men who were dating interracially, to put them in place and to, to stay with this vision of a, a back to Africa or, or having a nation of our own, when black women had no um, intention on following through with that, case in point, where they celebrate the, the, the royalty and uh, Kamala Harris. So there's that double standard there. So we know clearly that although black men were really serious about making this black nationalist thing happen and rebuilding whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, like uh, uh, Africa or, you know, what's the Black Panther future city, Wakanda, where black men were serious about doing that. Black men, women had no no intention of honoring that contract and sticking with black men. Okay. Yeah, you know, and I think... I, I think on, before, you, well, before you jump in, Gigi, Kasanka, I'm going to have to take you down because we got a long list of people trying to come on in. Uh, Gigi, go ahead and respond, and then we'll give it to Ian to introduce himself, give his thoughts, and then Malika. I'll keep it brief. I think black women were into black nationalism at one point. Uh, you know, like most of the members of the Black Panther Party, you know, uh, were, were women. Uh, I think at some point they shifted focus and they bought into the uh, white liberal, neoliberal ideal. I think, I think Ronald Neal is right about that. Uh, and the reason that they did so was because it, it brought them closer to whiteness. And mm. and yeah. the, the success that you're able to gain from being close to whiteness. Be, they're, they're honorary minorities. Mm. It is what it is. And you still and you still are a broke black buck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um Ian, go ahead and introduce yourself and give us your thoughts uh, briefly on the subject and then we'll let Malika go. Ian, are you there? Uh, it looks like we have having the same. He's, he's muted. He's muted. Unmute okay. yourself, bro. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I had to unmute. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, guys. Yeah. Um, I appreciate you uh, having me on the panel. Um, you know, my name's Ian Graves. You know, I've been rocking with the with the crew for a, a couple years now. I came, I really came over to the Manosphere. I came over to the Manosphere from ADOS space uh, doing reparations, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, I really got in hard into the Manosphere um, after I found that the uh, ADOS chicks was doing reparations, but they really was still on some anti-black um, male misandrous type of things, you know, and that, that was frustrating, you know, because there was a lot of pushback against um, uh, black immigrants, you know, who were supposedly um, taking a lot of the benefits away from uh, ADOS, um, descendants of uh, chattel slavery. But I'm like, okay, if you're going to have that energy for them, how are you not saying anything about white women and black women who were taking and draining the affirmative actions and a lot of the focus on on what's uh, uh, destroying the community? Yeah, so, uh, so again, so yeah, so that's that's my background. And again, you know, I found out about Tommy Curry, you know, and I found out about uh, uh, Dr. Hassan, you know, and so on and so forth, and and all the distinguished uh, guests over here, Ron O'Neill, um, Gigi. Uh, keep it 100. Okay, so my take on this, though, uh, just just recently, oh, uh, let me go back. I was watching Oprah, right? I was at my mom's house, right? I was separated from my ex-wife, right? We separated for about a year, but uh, that's a long story. But you know, but everybody knows it. But we were watching the show, and something was on there, and I, I pointed at my mom. I said, "You see, mom," and she, my, my mom cried because my mom said, "Yeah." I could have been home, you know, instead of trying to go out there and get the bag, you know, because my parents were married. I should, yeah. I could have been home taking care of you and your brother, you know, like a uh, basically like a traditional woman could have. I, sh I, could, I didn't have to be out there trying to go after the bag and trying to get a career. I could have been focused on you guys. And she said, I think I neglected. She, so she cried to me. So. A lot of a lot of people think that men in the manosphere are broken and this and that. Like like we've had our experiences, but I'm not jaded. You know, my my own mother has apologized to me. You know, I've had girlfriends, even though they, you know, they didn't work out. They've told me the truth with regard to, you know, you know, really how messed up um, you know, feminism is, even though they can't necessarily get away from the behavior. Go. Yeah. You know, but you know that it is it, it is what it is and and then just recently i have a friend he kind of like set me up he brought me on a panel because he saw that I, he saw that i have a group a facebook group called uh black men conferencing planning and uh building initiatives so he brought me on he won't put me with some other brothers right he he basically ambushed me my own friend because he does not like he does not like the idea of focusing on black men right and so basically just recently I had to cut off a good <laughs> a good friend just for that reason. But <laughs> my thing is he wanted to get on there and talk about okay there's an apathy with regard to black men and black women. You know or, or black men uh need to stand up and once we stand up black women are going to come along and I'm like man that's not even what the case is. The community is what it is because you have single mothers that are raising these men out here to do what they do is, you know, whether they're out there thugging and simping and whatever, all of that is is not because he tried to say it's based on trauma. 
and we need to we need to have these group chats you know between black men and women to get out our trauma and i'm like it's not trauma it's the fact that black women are raising these men it's not trauma because if it was trauma we wouldn't have came out of chattel slavery and built black wall streets if it was trauma you know what i'm saying we came out of black wall street like you know what i'm saying wearing white you got the old pictures with us wearing white we came out there looking like angels you know what i'm saying like nothing like we ain't never even been through nothing so it can't be that it's the trauma it's a choice and this mindset that black women took on you know what i'm saying and and the, you know you're based on the show that you did about breeding black males we were bred into this you know what i'm saying but but we were bred into this after chattel slavery you know what i'm saying this is a new breeding you know what i'm saying we had the old breeding now we have a new breeding based on this you know i guess the second or, or third wave feminism mm. mm-hmm. okay appreciate that um malika let's uh get you to introduce yourself and give us your thoughts on this and then we'll uh we got uh we got rob o uh up here after that uh followed by um uh, Jose. So, Malika, go ahead and jump in. Peace, brothers. Peace, brothers. It's an honor to be on this esteemed panel. I'm just a good brother that loves to talk about our people. Um, I'm a Gen Xer, just like you, gentlemen. Um, I love these images. I had some of these paintings. I grew up. I grew to go to these bookstores ever since I was a teenager and up to an adult. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I realized that um, it's romanticism. Mm. It's a lot of romanticism programming. And it's beautiful that we see ourselves in these beautiful lights, but mm-hmm. here's the one big problem. And BGS has said this, you said this on uh, Dr. Johnson and also Kevin Samuels. Men have never changed their roles. We've always been the attentive. We always been the protector, provider, problem solver. The women's roles have changed. You know, Erica Badu can sing great songs and talk about love and being the queen mother goddess, but she's still a baby mama of three kids by three different dudes. Jill Scott can talk all this stuff, but I remember when Jill Scott had the Afro and she was talking about thickness and everything, but now she got her cleavage showing and she's doing all this other stuff. And, you know, she's twice divorced and you know she turned around how the way she was with her ex-husband who was a simp you know we just talked about umar johnson but they're talking about you know umar johnson talking about we need to give to these women but sister harris sister harris out at least said one problem our big problem is not trying to be queen mother goddesses and king father goddesses the problem is that we don't get along Mm. And, and she said it's a convenience that we have that it's a first world problem, like Kevin Samuels has said. And one of the big first world problems is, is what um, Dr. Neal said, that liberal individualism has conditioned our black women mm-hmm. for the past 60 years. Mm-hmm. And black women get to live out the delusion of white women's freedom at the expense and the detriment of black men and black families and most of all themselves. And this is where we see ourselves in this situation where we get the black misandry, we get these ideals that, well, I can do battle by myself and I don't need a black man until I'm about 50, 60, 70 years old. And now I want somebody, but I gave all my years to riding the carousel to some corporation and doing whatever I wanted to do. But now I want a man and I think I deserve a man, but now you're calling up Kevin Samuels 
mm-hmm. three to five days out of the week and try to figure out what I need to do to get a man. And the biggest problem is that delusion has crippled your mind, crippled your grandmama's mind, crippled your sisters, your aunties, just majority of black women's mind throughout generations that you don't know how to be with a man and you don't know how to keep him. And the thing is, it's not just having sex with him. It's not just doing these right, just connecting to your man. The thing is, we have no problem. You want to connect with you women. But the problem is we're tired. And these images that you keep showing and we can see all these beautiful images and we can see videos and, you know, Taraji P. Hinton can go on BET saying that you want us. But the problem is, why should we get you back? Because you're not showing us anything. You know, you can talk to talk, but you don't walk the walk. And the ex- expectation is that we just need to accept you back. No, 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 no. There's been a lot of damage done. I'm not saying, brothers, we haven't done damage, but the damage is very big and proof and showing that what you've done. And they can get mad and say, well, what have we done? Why are young boys uneducated? Why can't they read on a fourth grade level? Why are they on the lower totem pole? Mm-hmm. Why is it that? we cannot be in a relationship and you women are divorcing us at a 70% rate. Why does the abortion rates are high for black children and women you're using it as birth control? Why is it that you got to have a 2021 voting poll? If we don't vote for Biden, we're not considered black and you women back it up. Mm-hmm. You women use our deaths as an expense to make money. But you want us to come back to you and want us to accept this black love. There's no black love. But the thing is, when we have this talk, like BGSS, when we come to the table and we want to talk about this, you don't want to hear it. You're like a little kid. La, 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 la. I don't want to hear it. You got your fingers in our ear. But we're talking about that liberal individualism. When the individualism gives you the ability to totally cut off your love and total connection to your boys and to your man. Mm. And that separates us. And you're wondering why we're not coming back. Black men, we have no problem coming back. We never left. Mm. We never left. Mm-hmm. We are standing right here. But the thing is, we're giving you the side eye. And the thing is, if you want us to come back, what are you willing to do for it? We set out these things. We want feminism. We want we want feminism erased out of your mind. But we want femininity. We want respect. We want honor. We want trust. We want you to be mothers. We want you to be mothers. We, if you don't know how to be a mother, learn. We want you to be a wife. We just don't want you to get with us. We don't want you to just get with us for our money, for our death. Do you know what it is? But do these women know what it is to be a mother and a wife? Do you know what it is just to be a black woman? Do you know what it is just to love and have peace for a black man? Shares out at least says one thing to have peace, but do you have peace for a black man? And that's the thing you got to In order for to understand this true black love, you got to have really love for a black man and peace for a black man. We already have love for you and peace for you, black women, but you don't have it for us. We never stop having love and peace and honor and respect for you. If we didn't do that, we that's what we would never come home to. We would never want to be fathers to your children. That's from another man. Mm. We would never want to, you'll call us the garbage men of the society. We never would date overweight black women. We would never want to get with black women that are over the hill. Mm. So this is a thing that we got to think about when you, when they talk about we don't love you. What? Okay, let's weigh that. Huh? 
Anybody want to respond to that? And I think what 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 Malika is is pushing is the idea, and I think I think this is hard for some black men, particularly in the black manosphere, um, because we do have ego. We do um, have this thing where we have a, a level of pride. We can't admit this. I think there are lots of black men who really, really, really want to have these relationships, traditional relationships with women. They don't want to be alone. They want companionship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they want to be married. If, if you really push them, you really push them. Um, and what that means is that the narrative that we have gotten for the past 50 years is wrong. That is the narrative that says that black men are not interested in carrying the burden of responsibility, morality, when it comes down to um, these relationships. That is that black men are uh, con consistently um, articulate themselves as being willing to do that, that they want to do that. They are hold upholding a traditional contract that black women simply as a group, not as individuals, but black women as a group, do not respect. They don't respect the contract. They want it their way. They want liberal individualism. They want the ability to opt out whenever they want to. Whereas, That's the issue. That's the issue, bro. Whereas black men, whereas black men have a more dutiful, in philosophy, green gorilla, Deontological. We call it deontology, right? Yeah. Black men have a more dutiful, unconditional orientation when it comes down to marriage, relationships, family, and all of that. That is that we are men, we are masculine despite conditions, despite whether it benefits us or not. Whereas black women are conditional. They're going to be conditional wives. They're going to have conditional commitments as girlfriends, conditional commitments along the lines as mothers, as long as it does not, in their minds, benefit them. And this is the fundamental problem that we are committed. And this is the, we are committed. The narrative is, what I'm saying is that we are more committed to these deep traditional, I would say it's conservative notions of family and manhood and what have you, where we, yeah, we take care of women. Then women are committed to any type of obligatory ethic or morality that involves their relationships with men. We're just more committed. And, 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 and that's where we are divided. And that's where the rift is. And that's what the crisis is for a lot of black men. But, you know, I want to I think I want to add something, though. When you talk about, you know, this liberal individualism, there's a missing component we got to add to this. That, that's when we start to talk about a gynocracy, because part and parcel to that individualism is also the desire to control men, to control, dominate and dictate. See, that's the. See, when we talk about a gynocracy, fundamentally what we're talking about is a, is a female patriarchy. Part of what the problem is at this point is she doesn't just want to be an individual that's, been a, that's able to benefit from policy. 
it puts her in a position, uh, you know, uh, of relative, you know, elitism, if one might use a term like that or something a bit lower. But she also wants to control. She also wants to dictate. She also wants to tell black men in particular what's, what's to be done. And if he doesn't sufficiently listen, she wants to be able to punish them using the apparatus of the state. And, and, and so how then do you navigate and negotiate that as a black man who wants to be in a relationship with black women, knowing full well that this culture of dominance alongside, you know, the liberalism, the individualism, it's almost a dark triad, if you will, right? That dominant, but that dominance, we got to add into the component. We got to add that to the discussion because so many black men gravitate. I mean, so many black men navigate and, and have to grapple with that part of it. Yeah, it's grappling. Here's, here's what I'm saying. It's grappling with white society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. It's, it's, it's an imitation. It's an imitation of the larger white structure. Exactly. That's it's, I an mean. Im, it's, an, it's an imitation of the relationship that black people have with white people. Yeah. Bottom exactly. line, that's all it is. Yeah, because white people, white people do not want to relinquish. There are white people who do not want to re- relinquish their paternalistic relationships with black people. They don't want it. It does something for them psychologically. Yeah. It does something for, something for them at, at a high level that we cannot imagine. It's a fundamental cycle. It's, it's a fundamental pathology. Uh-huh. This, this is the pathology of white supremacy that black women have internalized. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what I was yeah. going to say too. Yeah. Because uh, to be a free, liberal, upper class, white person, in the United States is to understand that there's a certain hierarchy of race and uh, basically the person at the bottom is the black man. And uh, you know, he's ontologically evil, he's culturally deficient. And uh, for the most part, I mean, you know, black women have taken up these ideas. So in, in addition to you know the, the 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 liberal component. There is the dominance component, uh, but it's 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 a money component. You know uh, more so than I think than anything else. It's 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 a money component and a dominance component, and mm. this race component. Uh, mm. You know, all working like a uh, like I guess like a a triad, man. It's mm. it's dark out here for us, man. And I think you know black men still have this duty. Mm. Like like uh, Dr. Neil said, but black women have no they have no commensurate duties themselves. They don't care, bro. Hey, they don't they don't care. They don't give a damn because feminism basically gave them the license to say, "I am the family. I am the center of the family. You're on the periphery, bro, and you better understand that going in because a lot of black men they go into this and they think that they're going to be the center." No, bro. That's changed. It's over with. It's done. And I know it's a lot of black women out there who, uh, you know, they're probably befuddled and confused as well. Uh, but man, that state apparatus, bro. You know, calling the police on your man. Uh, you know, bringing the state in to uh, mediate uh, disagreements with your man, or just because you're angry, you you want to show him who the boss is. That's traitorous shit to black men. Sorry, I had to use the S word, man. That's that's traitorous mm-hmm. to black men. Hey, and- G. hey, uh, okay. You, I, I'm sure, I'm sure you guys are familiar with uh, Brifolk's Law. 
Uh-huh. All right. Uh, for those who are in the chat who might not be familiar with it, I'll read it. The female, not the male, determines all the conditions of the animal family, where the female can derive no benefit from her association with the male, no such association takes place. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that applies to what we deal with. And, you know, as far as the control aspect of it, it goes right back to what Gigi and Dr. Neil said. I've said it many times, black women <clears throat> practice white supremacy all day, every day. And, and, and that's just what it is. Is like, 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 like you guys said, you know, nobody wants to relinquish power. I think that this idea, this pie in the sky dream um, of, you know, black nationalism and, you know, uh, bringing black women back into this situation. This, this is a male, uh, you know, a, a, a male apparition. They, they have no, um, they, 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 they have no reason to, to, to acquiesce to it like this. They don't, they really don't see anything in it for them, even if they pretend to or, or, or say they do. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I want to. We got a couple of new people we still haven't had a chance to bring in. So um, let, let's, let's bring in uh, Rob O. Rob, are you there? I'm here, sir. Are you here? Yeah, can we hear you? <clears throat> How you doing? Good evening, all. Good evening, chat panel. Thanks for having me on. Um, so, go ahead, go ahead and jump in on this. What's what's your thoughts? So, my perspective is, um, I'm a I'm a millennial. I'm a I'm a younger guy. I'm 28, and um, I listen into a lot of these a lot of your panels uh, because I'm just trying to get the information. I'm trying to really understand the you guys and the age and how much and the years you guys have put into the work as well as your personal experiences, but I'll, I'll add mine in. So um, I went to a, I, I have my college experience in, so I went to um, uh, Liberace University Tufts in, in Boston, um, pretty selective. And I, for black people, I think it's like 3% of the entire population of students are black. So I was able to get in, I played football, thought to myself, oh man, I'm an athlete, I'm black, like I should be, I should have no problems. Mm. Found myself having to reach out to the black community after I got into the school because the athletes and the students just didn't work, but whatever. Um, I linked up with some other black athletes and some other Hispanic athletes and I formed a house, you know, uh, uh, our campus house where people, black people, people of color, whatever, what have you could link up mm-hmm. and to center on the point of black romanticism that you guys are talking about. Um, I routinely tried to bring in black ladies to say, Hey, this is, a, this is a safe space. You guys could hang out here. You guys can let your hair down, relax. And in, in our house, we saw more Hispanic woman, Asian woman, white woman than we did black woman. And and it, I remember one incident um, where, you know, it was a it was a late night, and a, uh, a black woman and a Hispanic woman they were friends. They came over, and black woman basically said, um, "I come over here because you guys always have free alcohol." Okay, <laughs> and uh, that's uh, that that was messed up back then, but it kind of makes sense now because of what I've been listening to with you guys. 
Um, I'm, I'm first generation Nigerian American, and my parents immigrated to the U.S. Grateful to be in the U.S. And I saw a black love in my family. Uh, ups and downs. Um, then after college, I started, you know, watching the King Cause documentaries, Francis Quest Wilson, Amos Wilson, John Henry Clark, the, the whole nine. And I was like, yes, I like this because I want five black people, four black people, all that. But mm -hmm. then I saw listening to uh, Master Teacher. So I was figuring out, wait a minute, the things that he's talking about are things that I've seen in my life where mm -hmm. The things that you guys are talking about are things I've seen in my life, where the state has been used against my dad, where the where my sister or sisters have in, have brought in the the white man to the family for no reason. And I say all that to say at this point in time, with my close guys, with my close friends I've been with in high in um college, it's very hard for me to go find someone that is married to a a find a black man that's married to a black woman. So I saw a comment early on where uh, someone commented, I think it was uh, someone that uh, donated. They said, millennials and Gen Z's are not having this from black women. And I'm just I'm just a anecdotal person, but I can tell you like, this is happening. Um, a lot of millennials, a lot of Gen Z's are walking away. Um, I got two, two of my homies, one homie is is uh, dating a white girl. One homie is dating a uh, Hispanic woman, and another one is about to marry a white girl. About to go to his wedding in San Diego. So it's like this is really happening, and um, it is getting to crunch time for a lot of black right. women to really um, come to the table and try to make it work if they want to if they want to make it work because you know from listening to you guys' stories, they really don't want to. So as a millennial and as um, as the further, as generations continue on, <laughs> this, may, this may get real quiet. So um, thank you for having me on. I appreciate you guys. My question is to, to, to Rob, to Rob O, um, how, old, how old are you and were you born in America or were you born in, in Nigeria? I am 20, so uh, good evening, doctor. I am 28. I was born in the U.S., so I'm culturally American, but I, my roots go back to Nigeria. Okay. So, so here's the thing. So Africa, you have societies. What are you talking about? Nigeria, you know, Africa, the entire African continent, okay? Mm. Or you're talking about South, we're talking about countries that are, Hell, not ruled by white people. Okay, you have a different state of affairs, man. And yes, I'm gonna yeah. African culture, societies, from what we can gather, and, and even from the, the the Africans I've met. I mean, it's just it's a different orientation, bro. You know what I'm saying? We are the only, and I would say, Here we go. I would say that um, if you if you are a black person, a black man who was born in condition in the United States or born in condition in a in the UK where you have a white dominant population. You have mechanisms of control via the state. Okay, that support that subordinate black men. And, and this is at the very core of what 
what we're dealing with. And we are we are repressed by the state through the criminal justice system, through the family system, through all economics and what have you. We are a minority. So black American men, we are only 6% of the population. In the UK, the UK, I mean, blacks in the UK are what? Less than 1% of the population or even 1% of the population. They're a small, they're a minuscule number, okay? So if you're a black man living in a white dominated society, this is what you're dealing with. And, and, and there's no way around that because the, 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 the power differentials between white men and black men black, and, and, white, and black men are just that that deep. And so so black women benefit. They benefit from this subordination that is political in terms of laws and policies and the like and economics and economics. All right. And so what we're seeing now with the younger generation is that the younger generation are, are coming into a, a, a milieu where they're not, they, they have, they are, they're indifferent. They're just basically indifferent to the, 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 the cultural social condition. That's why I said the Gen Z's are very interesting to to watch. And, and many people have said that BGS have said that their race loyalty is at a, is, is the low, it's a low priority. Mm-hmm. Because there's something about, here's the thing, there's something about masculinity all over the world. And I think it's biological, um, which, push, which pushes for self-reliance and independence, which pushes for, um, you know, being an owner of your own destiny and what have you, okay? And, and the thing is, is that we are living, we are in countries, all of us are talking about the existence of black men in countries, Western countries, where there is a deliberate effort to neutralize, nullify, subordinate, suppress, and keep in check the self-interest of black men. Mm. And, and this is this is exactly this is what we are. This is what we are we are getting into. And so the, the Gen Zs, man, and, and this is why they're so fascinating. The Gen Zs are so fascinating to me because they're rejecting a lot of the stuff. And they're rejecting a lot of the stuff because of long-standing evolutionary impulses towards masculinity, that they're not getting any benefit out of these relationships. Mm. And something not something at a very natural base, even primitive level, is saying, you know what, I'm not dealing with this. And you know, well, well let me say this also, man. Like it's gonna be difficult to convince black women of anything at the contemporary moment. Only reason why is because they have been through the ideology of intersectional feminism. They've been able to convince themselves that they are the new black power movement. Yes. Like they, they've been able to convince themselves that yes, they now are what the black Panthers were in the sixties. They are what SNCC was in the fifties. Yes. Okay. They are on the vanguard. They are revolutionaries. Mm-hmm. Like I swear to God, that's what they believe, bro. Yes. You, there's no way in, in your mind, but well, in my mind, that you could convince me that like these women don't believe, like they're actually involved in something, you know, like eschatological. They bring in, they're ushering in the new world, bro. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and so, th- this new world might be appealing to them. 
but it's not appealing to uh, traditional black men. Can, I, can, I, can I respond to that? Can oh, I respond ahead. to that? I, 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 yo, thank you. That's a great point, right? But what I've said before is, you know, these, these women want to lead, you know, uh, black revolutionary movements, but all the male led black revolutionary movements got us somewhere. You know, when we had the Panthers, we got, we had programs, we had, you know, things for the community. There is no female-led black revolution that has given black black to black people as a group. None. Well, 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 well here's the issue though, Mark, is this what you don't take into consideration? I'm not, good point, as a whole, collectively. But for them, they have something to gain. Okay. Oh, no, no, I well, take that into consideration. I'm just making the point, D. Right, yeah. I get it. I, look, yeah. I understand. You know, but to, what they gain yeah. is visibility. They gain approximation to whiteness, and ultimately, it's a money game. It's a money game. It's a visibility game, and it's a whiteness game. I hate to say that, but all three of those coming together, man, that's like gunpowder, fire, and alcohol. Hey, That's what it's like. And let me and let me add this. this. Let me add this. Let me add this. The the thing the thing that you're saying about this uh, them being the new um, uh, Black Panthers of a sort is they're coming at it from a because uh, see, see I'm a I'm a I'm a homeschool psychologist right you know I I even I even taught psychology um, in in college without a degree but that's that's besides the point but. What I'm looking at is that they are they are involved in in mammyism. They they have this idea that they have tamed the white man, right? And they think that they are the <laughs> vanguard of 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 dominance because they they have tamed the wildest animal on the planet, and that's the white man through uh, nursing his children. They think they have conquered the white man in their mind. You know, that's that's why they they you know, even in their dating habits, they have this idea that they can tame any kind of wild thug out on the street because they say, man, if I tame the white man, I can do it all. So 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 that they have they have in their minds, you know, through their sex, through sex, they can they can control and they can dominate the whole universe. That's why these same individuals, you know, you see them out out here in conjunction with their protests. They're black protests. They're also trying to uh, to get uh, uh, prostitution legalized or whatever. And and it's, and it's I don't have a feeling about that, but I understand the psychology behind it is that they feel that their sexuality is the most potent and most dominant power in the universe. And and they say that you know I have conquered the white man. Nobody can say anything to me. Oh, that's the somatic narcissist in them. Hold on, we're coming to you next. Now, there's some echo coming from somebody's mic. I'm not sure who it is, but I wanted to add something real quick before we bring Jose into the conversation to something Marcus just said. Um, it, it, the other piece that's, that's missing is when we talk about these past nationalist movements led by black men or even some of the more recent protests going back to 2015, who died in these efforts? Like, even if you take it to Ferguson, Black men died. Appreciate that support. Yep. Black men died. Whether you take from whether we go from the 60s to now. Are you really seeing that in these protest movements led by black women? No, and so so what's happened is that what Gigi is saying is that 
what they regard as revolutionary politics is really not revolutionary politics. Right. They're committed to diversity and inclusion. They think that screaming and hollering at white people and begging white people <laughs> and begging white people for incorporation, Stacey Abrams, begging white people for incorporation is somehow some type of radical politics. Okay. And so in, like intersectionality, intersect there's nothing radical about intersectionality. Intersectionality is about being incorporated into the mainstream of white capitalism. That's all it's about. There's nothing revolutionary. There's nothing, there's nothing revolutionary about Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams is anti-revolutionary. These women are anti-revolution. They 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 think that positioning themselves uh, as feminist, as the way in which white radical feminists have tried to um, incorporate, well, not tried to, but have incorporated themselves into American mainstream, they think that that is revolutionary. The thing is that they are not antithetical to the American system. They're not trying to subvert the American system. They're not, to, they're not trying to overthrow it or replace it with another system. They're not trying to destroy the Constitution. What's revolutionary is destroying the United States Constitution. That's revolutionary. <laughs> Saying that the American Constitution is flawed and it needs to be, we need a new Constitution. That's, re that's some revolutionary politics right there. To say that every aspect of the, the Declaration, the Bill of Rights, all that stuff does not benefit anyone except white people. That's revolutionary. That is what that is what we got with the black vanguard. That and, and that's what got that's what got those men sent to jail. That's what got them put in prison because they questioned the very logic of the United States, the very foundations of the United States. And black women, their politics does not do that. And they pretend that it does not. There's nothing revolutionary about the politics of a middle to upper class black woman, these women who are in Congress, these women who are running for governors and want the Senate seats and all that kind of stuff, they have they have conceded to the merits of white exceptionalism and they want white exceptionalism to work for them. And and that's and that's that's the fundamental thing. And so this 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 politics that they have, it is faux revolutionaryism. It is right. anti-revolutionary. Well, it's, it's not about sacrifice. It is not about overthrowing. So, Neil, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Actually, I do think it's about black female political advancement being being masqueraded as revolutionary activism. But I do want to bring in Jose into this discussion. I don't know how bronze or bronze. How do you say your name, Jose? Uh oh, Jose, are you there? Sorry, sorry, my mic was muted. Uh, my country of birth uh, was colonized by the Portuguese like several other uh, African countries. So it's uh, José Bronze. Oh, my bad. All right. But, but All please right. please call me Jay, because in the Netherlands, uh, J-O-S-E is a female name. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, so call me Jay. But uh, anyway, uh, uh, I, um, I agree with... with all of us uh, in in the panel, uh, but I, I uh, maybe I can uh, word it uh, differently. Okay. So so there's a natural law, and and that natural law is woman catered to the actual man in power. 
and and who uh, who do uh, black women have to cater to we don't have a seat in the on the world stage of power not 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 spirit spiritually not uh, economically not politically uh military none none of the none of the above so so uh, uh, uh we should be uh focusing on on that position on a seat of the world stage of power uh, in any of the uh, uh of the of the of the seats of power uh, but mainly economic uh, 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 and, and military is also uh, uh, important to protect it and and mil military will also I, I, I believe I'm a believer I'm a dreamer I believe uh, uh, military power will 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 maybe change uh, uh, change how how uh, black women uh, act nowadays because when when their sons are being shot in the streets and there's uh, there's uh, let's say uh, um, an African uh, NATO, an African military force uh, showing up uh, at, at at the coast of that uh, that particular nation. It it makes a difference, I believe. Okay. But, um, uh, this 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 whole thing, I, I believe uh, our our uh, women, on top of uh, what I just explained, our women are also uh, called up. They are collateral collateral damage. How uh, Edward Bernays. Uh, uh, the the nephew of uh, of uh, Sigmund Freud was hired by the multinationals to uh, to lure to lure uh, females uh, out of the kitchen into the the shopping mall. Is uh, is our 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 females are uh, are collateral in that in that uh, story uh, because uh, uh, any any image uh, that that is portrayed as uh, as um, as as what we want. Our our females are, are not in there. The the beauty standard, the the, the any, anything. It, it it was um it was aimed at at, at um luring the other half of the uh, uh, independent buyer. So so this 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 whole this whole thing about uh, equal pay is not about equal pay because there is no equal work. Uh, the equal pay is buying power, consumer power. So, 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 so this, 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 it's, it's, it's a plan. And, and again, we are collateral in it. Uh, the United States is white power structure. I believe uh, the United States is a collect, collective, collective colony of old money. So, old money from Europe. Uh, a good example is is the combustion engine. Old money of Europe. Uh, uh, financed uh, uh, the the success of the of the combustion engine in in the Americas, and the, the cities the cities grew together together with this combustion engines uh, uh, on wheels, and uh, uh, the first and second world war. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, there's more details to it, but 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 I need to to to, to finish this little story uh, uh, to 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 get where I'm going to. Well, be be, be brief because we're going to close down soon. So go ahead and be brief. Uh, yes, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be brief. Uh, so, so uh, uh, this this old uh, white uh, uh, power structure, this, this old white money, uh, transferred the success of the of the, uh, the 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 combustion engine on wheels to Europe uh, with the first and second world war. The first was uh, was uh, was trench wars where where uh, the heavy industry would uh, was installed later, and the second world war. And in between the second world war, the highways in Europe were were, were laid down by Hitler. And then the, the Second World War, where uh, the, the inner cities were uh, made free for this uh, combustion engine. So uh, uh, why, why, why do I give this example uh, uh, to, 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 
to clear cl to clarify how I see the United States. So the United States is a is a colony of mercenaries, a uh, 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 wor uh, working force, and uh, mannequins. Because uh, what's happening in the United States is transferred worldwide uh, via pro uh, via, via propaganda. The United States is used to sell the American dream, and the American dream is co consumerism. So so via uh, children and women. I, I have a, a little background in marketing. So children and women are are, are influenceable, and and men not. So so it's kind of logic that that uh, that uh, 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 Babylon or the, or or this American dream is 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 is, um, is uh, uh, more seductive to, to to women and children outside of the United States when you're young. Everybody looks up to America. Everybody glorifies America. I wanted to be a, a, a F F-16 or F-15 uh, a, a fighter pilot, pilot to, to, to give an example. One, one, another, another. To, to finish it off, uh, I wanna, I wanna uh, make another comparison with uh, us, uh, second and third generation uh, African immigrants and African Americans, because this is, in the meantime. This is not an African American problem. Uh, there's there's one thing that I use to to my people here in the Netherlands, and I say the fir our first generation was eighty percent till death do us part. The second generation was forty percent till death do us part, and the third generation immigrant, you buy them a breezer in the club and you're fucking. Jose, 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 where where, where in terms of your genealogy? What, what what is your, your your family your family culture of origin? I'm very curious about that. Uh, that's uh, uh, my my country. My country is is uh, is uh, comparable with the diaspora. Uh, uh, my uh, my country is the Cape Verde Islands, and we we don't know what tribe we uh, we belong to. We we were uh, gathered from all types of uh, tribes on on the island before making the transatlantic Atlantic uh, uh, crossover. And you're talking about Portuguese colonization, correct? And slavery. Correct? Portuguese, Portuguese colonization and slavery, yes. Got you, got you, got you. So I mean that everything that Jose is saying is is accurate. He's talking about the impact of these Western European nations and what have you on on the entire world and, and the extent to which they have been successful in colonizing the minds of black people. And so I mean, the reality is, is that um, we have not successfully decolonized black people. We have not. It, 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 the, 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 whole, the whole force of decolonization from the 1950s to the present has not been a successful project. May, may I underline that? Well, well be, again, be brief, because I'm about to take you down and I'm going to let everybody give their closing thoughts. So uh, go ahead, Jay. Give us your okay. So, so, so we fought. We fought the Portuguese. Portuguese was also an empire, and in the colonial yes. war, uh, uh, we brought them to their knees, and they never uh, got back up again. And uh, um, uh, uh, we we have uh, our hero too, and that's Amilcar Cabral, and he thought of everything. But us, the population, we got we got uh, uh, seduced by the West. Because yes. uh, 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 the 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 Amerika Cabral prepared us for the intellectual uh, 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 the intellectual uh, decolonization that would would follow after the 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 the, the war the physical war and uh, he, he, he 
he, he was killed before we were freed. And so uh, our, our media and our school are a disgrace. Mm -hmm. It's shameful how Eurocentric it is. And that's, that's what I wanted to add. Amen. Hold on, hold on, Dr. Nish, before you jump in. I, I appreciate you coming up, Jay. Uh, my apologies for butchering your name. I live in California. So the first thing I think of is Mexican students. It's Jose. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, fine. It's I appreciate fine. Thank you. It, man. Thank, Thank you, for, you for having me. Thank you for your contribution. Uh, Dr. Neil, go ahead and, and give us uh, your thoughts on that and then your no. thoughts and then we'll go. Yeah, yeah no, 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 what I'm saying is everything that Jose laid out is uh is correct i mean it's it's it is it is accurate and and that is ex exactly what we are dealing with we're dealing with a the reality of the, the legacy of calling not just slavery but colonization man mm -hmm. and, and, and in america we don't talk about this if you guys have not seen i don't know if you have if you have access to hbo raul peck uh the haitian um filmmaker there's a documentary series on HBO called Exterminated Brutes. And uh, in Raul Peck, in that documentary, it's a four-part documentary. He deals with a lot of this history and what have you. And, and this is a history that we have simply have not escaped. The problem that we have, particularly in the United States, is that um, we have not dealt with the, the psychological damage that has been done over the over the centuries to, to, to black people. And, and black women, here's the thing. So, you know, women who are dominated, women, you know, this is a history of conquest. And I've talked about this with, with Gigi on his page and what have you and other places. I'm gonna talk about this in my own platform. We've dealt with a history of domination. Mm -hmm. In the history of domination, what is clear is that um, the, the, the people who are the most violent targets of domination are men women are colonized women are turned into slaves women are turned into domestic servants women it's almost like almost like the sexual violence so what happens is that the women conform to the dominating class they surrender they give into it it happened here in, in, in the united states it happened in new orleans it happened you know even beyond that in that they internalize and accept the logic of the empire. And, and that acceptance means that um, they accept the, the inferiority, uh, the subordination, uh, the, the domination of their men, men who look exactly like them. In order for them to climb, in order for them to have a good life, in order for them to have comfort and security, to feel safe, they will readily identify with the dominating group. And that's what we're dealing with. That's yeah. what we have been dealing with. Yeah. Well, I raised, you know, one of, one of the questions I'm posing is the more powerful, uh, you know, we find ourselves, like if we were able to put ourselves in certain positions, be they electoral, be they based on income or whatever, does that really change the dynamic? It's something Adam Williams actually said in the comment section, even though he was talking about income, uh, but I think it's the same fundamental question. If you're making six figures, does it really change the dynamic? In essence, no, no. in essence, what he's asking is if your status or power level increases, does it change the dynamic? And let me say this. And I, I know I've been talking a lot, but I, I just have to get to my chest. So, you know, I appreciate what Kevin is doing, right? In this platform, mm -hmm. what have you. Mm -hmm. It does not matter. I'm going to say this. 
and he's had some screams in the past uh, two weeks where he's talked about black men and black male leadership and all that kind of stuff and what black men do to get black women to follow them. Mm. It is it is fundamentally flawed. Okay. I don't care what your status is. Mm-hmm. All right. In particular, I'm going to zero in on high status black men. High. It doesn't matter how how high status your your how status how, how high. Oh. You can become a multi-millionaire. You can exactly. become even a billionaire. Yes, sir. And she will fundamentally find something wrong with you. She yeah. will find a reason to leave you. She will find a reason to take half of your stuff or more than your stuff. Okay? That is just... that. that is, there is something within Western societies where black men are at the very bottom where we are, new, we are numerically... Uh, in a subordinate position in relationship to the dominant white male population, this woman will see you. She will continue to see you as an inferior. It doesn't matter how exceptional you can be. You can be Neo Tyson DeGrasse. You can be an astrophysicist, and she will still disrespect you. Yeah, you can be Barack Obama. Oh, I mean because. That's what already occurred. Like you saw what Michelle Obama said about Barack. Yeah. You you saw what happened to Michael Jordan. Yes. You saw what happened to Emmett Smith. You saw what happened, you know, with a whole host of black men, man, married, high profile black men. I did a public service announcement when I first came into the YouTube space. Mm-hmm. And I said, it doesn't matter what your social economic condition is, bro. It doesn't matter what your title is. Yeah. You are a N-word, bro. That's what you are. That's yeah, what yeah. And, and and everything around you will confirm that you are that. Your yeah. woman will confirm it. Mm-hmm. Your mother will let you know it. Okay? Yeah. And she'll say, have you ever heard you had your mother tell you, little boy, you know what I'm saying? I'll send you to the police. Teach mm-hmm. you a lesson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like I mean the whole because they already know what the threat is. Yeah. We don't know what the threat is. Yeah, yeah. We don't know that everybody else knows what the threat is. So, so, the threat so, so, is if, Kevin, if Kevin gets married again, if Kevin if Kevin Samuels gets married again, he has no buffers against being decimated. Okay, in divorce. He has no buffers against all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I I I know that the higher you go up in society. Marriage has some currency, it has capital. It will give you, it will get you closer to the white ruling class and all that kind of stuff. But, but you, you, you if, if Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates are not immune to divorce, what makes exactly. you think a black man? What makes you think a black man is going to be immune to divorce oh. and devastation? So that's a high value shit. And I appreciate him. I appreciate the aspect of what he's doing. But a lot of that shit is bullshit. Okay? Yeah. It's bullshit. Utter bullshit. And I'm saying it's utter bullshit. Yeah, there's always more boxes to check. No matter no matter how many boxes, me and Ian was talking about this. No matter how many boxes you check off, they, they, they'll add more. 
again, it's, it's like white supremacy. Well, if you dress like this, we'll accept you. Oh, if you talk like this, oh, if you get this degree, oh, if you do this, you do that, you do that, then we'll accept you. And that's what black women are doing. If you do this, we'll respect you. Oh, if you do this and you do this, we'll respect you. And this, 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 and this, this, and it's all bullshit. So we need it. And we got to put it into context because this really, we began hearing this in the 1980s, right? And it, and it got centered around this generic notion of six figures. And, and like, like Marcus is saying, it became, if you make six figures, we'll respect you. If you get a college degree, we'll respect you. If you do this, if you do it. And we heard those things. But the, the benefit of this time period now, because this is the first time in my life I've seen black men come together and share notes, compare notes. And what we're finding is after 40 years of hearing that language, just like Marcus and Dr. Neil pointing, pointing out, we're finding that it doesn't change regardless of your accomplishments, regardless of what you've made of yourself in regard to how they, what's put on the table, the, the moving of the goalposts, it doesn't change. Mm -hmm. So then the question becomes, all right, well, I still think we need to, to push and advance and, 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 and achieve, not necessarily for women, but for our own sake. But then the question becomes, even if we do that, what, what, does, what does this say about the nature of our relationships to women and what we can conceptualize? It takes us back to the beginning of the show in terms of, you know, the, 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 the velvet painting. How then do we now conceptualize relationships knowing full well about solipsism, female solipsism, about hypergamy, about all of these different things, about moving the goalposts? What does this tell us? Where can we take this knowing this so, so that we can actually live a better quality of life? Hey, look, let me let me say what I got to say, and I'm going to jet out, okay? That velvet picture is like the portrait of Dorian Gray. The mm -hmm. reality, man, is that these relationships are wicked, man. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, women don't have the same duty orientation towards these relationships as do men, and that's for the most part because of the policies and the laws and the social practices that exist currently in the United States. It just is what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's nothing you could do about it. You can't escape it no matter what your social economic class is. Women have more options uh, and, and they still have though the same protections that they had mm. in the past because, owing to the fact that they weren't able to make money on their own. So now they're able to make money on their own, but they still have laws in place and family courts and policies in place that, you know, are the vestiges of a system which yeah. made sure that they were covered under coverage. OK, right. so that's the issue. Right. All right. The next issue is, look. White feminism is not revolutionary. Black feminism is nothing but a Xerox or a facsimile of white feminism. And so therefore, it's not revolutionary. They're not like Ronald Neal said, man, they're not trying to change the basic structure of the society in which we live. They just want a piece of the pie. They want their cut. OK, that's all mm -hmm. this has ever been about. How can I get my cut? How can I get attention and visibility and honor that you as men have? I want a piece of that, too. I want it. I want you can call it the politics of distribution or the politics of recognition. OK, but as a black man, just be aware all of these forces, man, are playing out in your life. Right. And until you get to, to the point where you understand what those forces are, you'll continue to get manipulated. And just like the brother from Portuguese said, man, when he ain't from uh, Portugal, I mean, but Cape Verde or whatever I think he said, he, you know, uh, that's where his people was from. But uh, these white women have been running game on as well. Yeah. Okay. 
basically you get to enter into the workforce work for lower wages than men and also you get more responsibility and more duty to take care of your kids because you decided that your freedom to buy consumer products outweighs your connection and tethering to a family so i mean you know let, let them read what they sow they'll figure out in, the, in, in in due time they'll figure out that this was a false bargain that they took on what do you uh, mean when when you find out that the debt contributes to a five dollar worth overall and you end up not married taking care of parents and then routed out of your careers or what you thought were careers and replaced with somebody younger for less money you talking about that time period hey man and, and look, I don't mind women working at all. I mean, and having ambition. That's good. Oh, you know, go that. for it. Get it. But don't don't act as if, you know, uh, you got to throw us under the bus in order to get ahead. Now, mm -hmm. the time for that is over with. And uh, but they're acting as if what they're doing is revolutionary by playing this musical chairs game and uh, doing their best to try to push us out of the game. That's 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 tokenism, man. Like, cut it out. That shit ain't revolutionary. Stop. My, my last, my last thought is this. My last thought, man. We are the black men are the least powerful men in the United States in general, black American men, and the least powerful men across the world. What does it mean when you have a group of women who measure themselves and their aspirations, their goals, their accomplishments and achievements? against the least powerful group in the fucking world okay that is is that they're not measuring themselves against the hell white men and what their accomplishments will lead to they're measuring they're measuring themselves against a subordinate group of men i'm independent from a subordinate group of men if, if that does not say anything about the tragic nature of their perspectives, I don't know what does. Mm -hmm. And their consequences that they're living out right now. I said this last week on one of my on my platforms is that you have women. I'm 47. A lot of us here we're in our 40. We're in our 40s. I'm 47. I'll be 48 in September, man. Mm -hmm. And you have the women who are in this group who are post 40, who are single. Um, who have no children and what have you, and they're they're living lives of depravity, okay. In terms of the choices that they have made, they they don't have anything comparable to what white middle and upper class women have, okay. And and, be, and if, if if the truth be told, you got you you have a class of women who are not even going to be saved by other black women. Women in their 50s, women in their 60s, who are by themselves, who are marginal, and at the end of their lives, there's no guarantee that not even their sisters are going to be with them in their final days. That's what we're dealing with. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I appreciate it. I don't know if both of y'all got to run, but I do appreciate y'all both coming in. Uh, Brother Gigi, y'all check out G with the PhD, make sure you, you you go to the Green Gorilla channel, support him. Also support Dr. Ronald Neal. Um, I'm going to come to Ian for a brief uh, closing thought statement, and then we're going to come to Marcus. Uh, Ian. Okay, yes. Um, yes. Uh, hey, as always, I love you, brothers. You know, it's good to get together and, and hear the wisdom from you, from you guys. 
Um, my my last points, um, just just really kind of uh, reiterates a lot of what you guys have said. But um, you know, I don't know if you guys have read Incidents of the Life of a Slave Girl by Harriet Jacobs. Well, she said she didn't know she was a slave until until the white man wanted to fuck her. You know what I'm saying? So black women have a whole nother orientation as to what life is. You know what I'm saying? She didn't know she was a slave until the white man tried to force herself. Uh-huh. Tried to force himself on her. Uh-huh. Okay. So, you know, and, and you know, and then and then I go to you go to a book called um uh what's it what's the name of it? Uh anyways, okay. Um there's there's a book that's that says that the Arab the Arabs took over um uh, northern Africa because the Arabs because because of the uh, matrilineal culture the Arabs were able to marry the females and basically take power over over the over those over those African countries that uh, before to, before hither hither before you know were were military were more military dominant. So saying all that, saying so I'm saying all that to say, you know, then you you get to uh, 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 Ohio, Ohio rep Joyce Betty. She was arrested. You know, I think you posted this, uh, Doctor Hassan. Uh, she was arrested, you know, uh, at a voting rights demonstration. But what she said was, "I stand in solidarity with Black women and allies across the country in defense of our constitutional right to vote." So right. that's as, that's as far as they go. They're right. not thinking about us whatsoever. You know what I'm saying? And that's that's just the reality that we're going we're going to have to live with. They are not thinking of our survival and our freedom whatsoever get it get it through your mind and 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 i'm just going to read this and then um what i said to that and i'll be done can we throw away the whole feminist gynocentric black community that nearsightedly expects rotational a la carte choices of non-transformative rights based on hopes white people remember black women nurse their babies to where we feel they're obliged to give big mama deferential choice and or believe on the other hand like the modern black women who watch scandal that think we can just pay as we go with regard to rights based on a narcissistic belief and a sexual influence like Kamala or Omarosa has to get a piecemeal handout that has slowed uh, the progress and growth of the black community for decades all right all right. Thank you, brother. Appreciate your contribution tonight for tonight. Okay. Yes. Yes, All right. sir. All right. I'm going to take you down, man. But thanks, man. All right. Peace, guys. Yeah. Always good to, to hear from Ian. Uh, Marcus, why don't you go ahead and uh, give us your closing thoughts, bro? All right. Um, you know, I've been saying this for some time. So for some time, I, you know, I, society is a man-made thing. You know, women only subscribe to society when they can derive benefits from it. Um, It's a man-made thing. Women are uh, more beholden to their biology and their nature. Okay. Um, You know, they will deal with us if there's a benefit. Um, They say it all the time. These women are like, well, I don't need a man. I can get my own bag, which would imply to me that the bag was the prize in the first place. Right. 
so that and that's just that's just one anecdote one example of you know um men just being a, you know a means to an end as opposed to you know this idea that we have of us building we're together this and that you know if we talk about partnerships, because you know they they thought this false feminism, but if we talk about partnerships and you pay half the bills and I pay half the bills and we both wash dishes and this this that and the third, you know, then you're a roommate. <laughs> but uh, you you know it's, it's it's like you know when it's when it's this shared utopia thing, they reject that. What they want is what they perceive white women to have from white men. And again, you know, they 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 look at us like 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 the guys have been saying, um, you know, as the you know the bottom, uh, you know, male figure in this in this culture in this in this society. So there's nothing to get from us other than, you know, them fetishizing us the way that other groups of uh, women fetishize us. They fetishize oh. us in the same manner that oh. white women and Asian women and everybody else does. You know. So when they say that they're, you know, they love black men, what they really mean is, you know, they love black dick, um, you know, pardon my French. And, you know, that that comes from the the same group that we talk about. They deal with all the time. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, they they don't have any investment as, as far as I'm concerned in this idea of, uh, you know, uh black community, black, you know, nationalist agenda, anything like that. I remember when the NFAC was doing what they were doing, I was seeing black women make fun of that. They, uh, you know, yeah, right. they, yeah, they made, they made fun of, you know, uh, the new black Panthers and any, any black male uh, uprising movement or anything that, that, that comes about, they look at it like, Oh, look at these guys. Aren't they cute? Mm-hmm. You understand? And, but this is the thing that they tell us we need to do. You know, we've seen, you know, black mothers beat up their kids for, you know, going out against the police. I'm talking about the Freddie Gray thing, you know, where the woman beats her kid on television for, you know, protesting or whatever the case may be. At the end of the day, you know, again, this is something that we have to get out of our heads. And I'm talking about American black men. It's not something that they want. It, it, you know, by and large, I can't say every woman is this way, but by and large, it's not something that they're interested in because they don't see any benefit from it. And, you know, and I'm talking about larger than the ones we described, like, you know, six figures and, you know, lifestyle and this and that and the other, because, again, the white man's ice is colder, period. <laughs> period. All right, man. Well, much appreciated, man. I'm glad you came through and I appreciate you dropping it. Most uh, make sure you make sure you guys support Keep It 100's channel. Uh, go over there and check out what he's doing, um, and uh, and extend that to him. All right, I'm gonna take you down, man. But thanks I a lot, man. Most appreciate it anytime. All right, man. Peace. All right, y'all. So appreciate y'all coming through tonight. There um, was a lot discussed. We went all over the world, in fact, in many ways. But I think the crux of my initial question, at least in terms of how I would answer it. Um, and this is not to exclude anything that was discussed tonight. I want you to take out of it what you can, what what, what appeals to you, what what sticks to your spirit. Um, but the, the least I would say is uh, what Dr. Neal actually pointed out at a certain point. I think we all agreed with, which is basically never exclude your life experience in this. 
And so when you start conceptualizing relationship, especially if you come out of that nationalist context, um, at the end of the day, do not let, and, and this really goes even beyond the velvet painting, don't let any idea that you have supersede the reality that you're experiencing, that you're witnessing, and especially that you're studying. If you're studying the statistics on divorce, if you're studying the statistics on uh, uh, child support, family court's influence, if you're studying these statistics alongside looking around you, alongside paying attention to the very relationships in your family and the ones you're dealing with yourself, do not let the things that you're imagining, do not let these ideas that we get in popular media, don't let them supersede the reality that you are aware of and experiencing. And I say that particularly coming out of Gen X because we grew up with the love songs and the TV rom-com movies. And I mean, we went through all of that mess. And it's one of the reasons there's such a, a huge generational difference in some of the responses to this. But at the end of the day, as a Gen Xer, I'm merely saying to those of you out there, be careful of this, particularly black men, of course, be careful of these Im images and ideas that we've learned to internalize that we've been given, especially, you know, in female dominated family structures, be very aware of how different your life experience is, your quality of life, particularly as a black male and experience and, and be, be aware of how you have to navigate the world differently. So upon making these decisions, whether it be about relationships, marriage or anything else, make sure you, you measure it against what's really going on. Otherwise, you might find yourself in a situation that may take you about a good 18 years to pay your way out of, if not much worse. That said, appreciate y'all coming in tonight. Y'all take it easy. Peace. I am here to tell you, brothers, we are not criminals by birth, perennial rapists, incapable intellects, man children, sperm donors, child support wellsprings, success objects, walking phalluses, ATM machines, lottery tickets, unintelligent henchmen, valueless assassins, pro bono mercenaries, unpaid bodyguards, interchangeable stepfathers, child discipline proxies, unpaid repairmen, workhorses, emotional tampons, or any other socially accepted dehumanizing stereotype. We are thinkers, inventors, innovators, leaders, fathers, and men. Embrace your humanity, know your worth, and extend your time, attention, and resources only to those who genuinely respect you. And remember, your worth is not defined by meeting other people's narcissistic and selfish and unrealistic needs. You define your worth. Peace.